You're listening to Trot the Egging, hosted by John Hetherington, working with Witness Rugby Union Football Club, sponsored by Boydells. This week's rugby story is one born and bred in Wigan, whether that's following the Latics or the Warriors. He began kicking the round ball until he's in his teens, he realised trotting the egging was his real love. Wigginson Dude is his junior club, and he went through the age grade repping his town, county, and country before serious injury put a stop to his playing days. A coaching career was born, and he had spells with Salford, Whitehaven, Widnes, Hull KR, Gateshead, Barrow Raiders, Swinton Lions, and Scotland Rugby League. He was also a scholarship manager at Wigan. He's now doing amazing work with Rugby League Curs. Ladies and gents, Mr Steve McCormack. Follow, like, share, subscribe and endorse us via Facebook, Trot the Eggin, Twitter, at Trot the Eggin, slash at John Heath, Instagram, Trot underscore D underscore Egg underscore In, YouTube, Trot the Eggin, LinkedIn, John Hetherington, and Spotify, Trot the Eggin. Hey, how have you been? Good, thanks, John. Yeah, really good. Uh, busy, uh, but in a good way. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm all good. To... Yes, mate. So, before we get stuck into your rugby story, mate, where was home for you as a kid and who lived at home with you? Uh, home's Wigan. Um, I, I've never moved away from Wigan. Obviously, I've travelled, you know, all over the place with my coaching. But, um, yeah, Wigan lad, proud Wigan lad. Um, live with my dad. There was, there was just me and my dad, my, uh, my mum. Right. Unfortunately, died when I was when I was quite young, a young age. So it was me and my dad, and uh, my dad's sister ended up um, living with us, and, and we grew up. And yeah, Wigan's Wigan's my home, and, and probably always will be. Yeah, oh, mate, and, and I'm sorry about that. So if you're all right, mate, how was it as a young lad going through that? Must have been confusing and stuff. Um, do you know what? It was a real happy childhood. You know, considering what had happened, we were very young. You know, I was only. Yeah. Four when my, my mum passed away, and my dad uh, was fantastic. So my, all, all all my memories really growing up were, were good memories. You know, I don't don't quite remember me, uh, you know, me me mum that 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 well. But what I do remember is is you know the values of my dad, and he, he made it a, an enjoyable childhood. You know, I I didn't want for nothing. It uh, ingrained all the values that you'd want from a, a parent. So. All my memories of growing up around Wigan with my mates and you know, all my mates have thankfully done really well. You know, Andy Farrell and people like that, you know, live next door to Andy and and a few of the others. So my, my memories, John, to be fair, growing up was, was really happy. You know, I'm really lucky with the child that I had considering what, what had happened at a, a young age. Right, so where does that competitive edge come from, mate? You had to have it in, in you had to have it in Wigan anyway, I think. Probably yeah. a lot a lot of working class towns anyway in the north. You know, you look yeah. at you know, all the other places, you know, the hard working working class towns. And um I think even even just growing up, uh, you know, the values that we had, you had to work hard. You just had to work hard and you had to respect people. Um and I think the people that I surrounded myself with as well and neighbours, and I've mentioned a couple of names as well, name dropping a few there. It wasn't. You're just competitive, you know. Everything we did, you know, it was all about sport, all about outdoors, and um, you know. I, but yeah, my, my dad was, you know, pretty competitive as well. My dad played professional sport. My dad played for Oldham and Wigan, right. um, so probably got that a little bit from him as well. But um, yeah, I, I, I've never known any other way really about being competitive and trying to be the best I, I can possibly be. Yeah. So I so. 
where did rugby become a source of focal point for you? I imagine you'd have been on a t- couple of touch lines watching your dad. So when did the ball get in your hands? Oh, well, my, my dad retired at 1972, and that's when the year I was born. So I never actually watched right. my dad play. But I think, I think being a Wigan lad, uh, it was always rugby. I, I grew up in the era of uh, the great Wigan teams, you know, the Andy Gregories and, you know, the Sean Edwardses and the Andy Platts and people like that. Um, you could not love Wigan rugby, you know. My my weekends were spent Wigan rugby on a Sunday, but I was a, a massive Wigan athletic fan. You know, I've always so been... proper Wigan through and through, mate, ball yeah, sports. No, yeah. yeah, so, you know, from a, a very young age, I think probably nine or ten, I, I used to go watching Wigan Athletic on a Saturday. Uh, okay. We won the dance mates, and um, then, then it was Wigan rugby on a, on a Sunday as well, so... I love both. I just love, you know, I love my town, very proud of my town and, and um, both both the football and the rugby have been a massive part of my life, really. Right, so what club were you first involved with and how did it come about, mate? Uh, first, well, I was a footballer, John. You know, right. The first thing was, you know, I played, believe it or not, for for, Wigan, for, for the junior Lattics team. So I was a footballer leading up to probably second middle school it was then, secondary school. So I'd, I'd never right. touched a rugby ball. Um, so I went to a rugby school, I went to to a, a school called Deanery High School, which has some good players have come from Deanery. Um, so you know, I played football then, but uh, there was a couple of teachers, very passionate teachers, uh, a couple of parents as well. I remember a fellow called Tommy Lucas, who I still speak to now. You know, He was the first person to introduce me to to rugby all those years ago, you know, 30 years ago that, and I never forget that, um, just a volunteer apparent. Um, so I got a bit of a love for that, and then when I went to uh, my high school, which is the Deanery High School, it was a proper rugby school that, and I, you know, right. um, took that on board, and um, again, some key some key teachers in there, and some good players, and probably never looked back. Yeah, so going back to the football then, mate, how was, how was that, like... Um... Set up so is it is it clicky? Is it difficult or did you find it pretty easy as a kid? Uh, I was just a kid enjoying myself. That right. that's as simple as that. And I think sometimes we get lost in that now, you know, yeah. within the game. So I I just remember loving every minute of it. My dad taking me everywhere. I was a big Latics fan, um, and, and and I played. You know, I just played and I just enjoyed it. There were never any pressure put on by my dad or anybody around me. Uh, when I look back now, there probably was that pressure. Um, but I just loved it. Just loved playing. Just loved playing any sport. Loved that competitive edge. Always tried my best. I weren't the world's best, but I always tried my best. Um, and that stood me in good stead for the rest of my career then. And um, I, I loved watching rugby, but I'd never played it until probably the age of 11 or 12. Uh, and then when I when I played it, then there was no turning back. I I, I fired the football off play on my head and <laughs> you know the rugby. But um, yeah, it was. Uh, I just loved it. I just loved playing sport. Yeah. So did it become uh, like a, a decision, Steve, or could you have played both at the same time? No, I, I would have never made a professional football player, John. I don't think. Right. You know, I was um, you know, I was I was okay. I was okay as a yeah. player. Um. But I think from the very first moment I picked the rugby ball up, um, I, I did okay at that. You know, it's something, again, I really enjoyed and I love that contact aspect of it, that physicality aspect of it, just the game as a whole. So I, I think there was never really a choice. I was certainly a lot better at rugby player than I was a football player. 
And did it say it on to adjust, mate? Uh, no, I don't think so. No, I think we had some good people around us as well. You know, we yeah. the Wigan School competition and probably still now was was outstanding. You know, some good teams in there, and it was the old service area. You know, town yeah. teams. Um, so once I started playing, I think it might have been year year seven, year eight. We had a decent side at the DNA, and then I was fortunate enough to to do okay and represent you know the town and uh, and get other representative honours. But back then, the town teams were brilliant. You know, good playing Lee and St Helens away, and um, you know I look back on some of the big influences on me in my schoolboy career as well. People like Dennis McHugh, who, um, who who was the England schools coach then, and and some other people, Derek Birchall at, at DNA High School, and. All those people, um, and even some of the volunteers now. The, without them, we'd have you know no, you know no, yeah. having a go in it. So I probably look back at those people now, and I'm, I'm immensely show an immense amount of gratitude to all those people that introduced me to the game because I certainly wouldn't have done if it weren't for the people then giving up their time, you know, in the busy lives. I, I certainly wouldn't have been anywhere anywhere where I am now. Right, so. When the eggs in your hand, mate. Position wise, where did you play? And did you did you look to dictate play, or could you stand back and let people do things and chime in when you needed to? Oh, I was a second row. I just got right. the ball and went as hard as I could, <laughs> as hard as I could, John. <laughs> uh, I studied the game, even as a young yeah. a young age. I studied the game and just watched. I was obsessed, really, about watching the game and learning and looking at the great players, what they do listening to coaches speak even at a young age, you know, from all sports. And so I always studied the game. Um but actually playing I was a bat rower, stroke 13, and I got the ball in my hand and I just ran as hard as I could and just tackled as hard as I possibly could as well. So I, again I might not have been the, the the best player in the world, but nobody nobody beat me through the through trying and the right. effort. Yeah, yeah. Um yeah. so yeah, I studied the game, etc. And, and always enjoyed watching it. But when I played, I was just, uh, you know, just give us a ball and I'll, I'll just run as hard as I can. Like, again, like you've mentioned a few times about looking back, Steve, aren't you? And you probably could never have known then what you know now that you're being nurtured by all these volunteers, parents, coaches, teachers into the coach you become, aren't you, without without knowing it because you're studying hard as well? Yeah, I, I don't think we can underestimate that, John. You know the people, yeah. and you don't see it because you're in you're in that world. Then you know it's, it's, yeah. it's when you're a young player or a young person, you know you probably just take things for granted. Your teachers, your parents, your curers, your community club coaches, you just take that for granted. I think it's when you get a little bit older, you know, and you start looking back, that the amount of people that's like that help, you know, stand on that touchline, you know, match officials and. Giving the time up to do things, and I, I even go like to to that. The, even the cleaners, what clean the change rooms up and do, yeah. you know, the little things like that. Um, I, I appreciate probably a lot more now than I did then because it was just taken for granted. But we were very lucky, probably as a, generally a sport in our communities, that we have got some amazing people that that nurture and help a lot of people. You know, and probably the same with yourself when you played, John. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Thing and. Um, part of my role now is 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 hopefully getting players, young players, and current players in Super League and the Championship of Community players to just to to probably thank people a little bit more, you know, show that gratitude. Mm-hmm. Most of us do that anyway, but there's some yeah. amazing people in our game and in our communities. No, there is, mate. 
So going back to your to the town team and service earlier there, it's just a couple of questions, mate. Is it something you'd agree with that system? Do you like that system even now? I, I loved it. Yeah, I, I loved. It, I think, uh, and I've I've worked in scholarships as well. You know, I've worked at Wigan, and very privileged to have a, be a scholarship manager and see that and stuff. I think there's merits in both. You know, the learnings and the things that you uh, you can take from both uh, both environments. Looking back from a um, a service area point of view, and then town teams. You know, we we stayed at. I stayed at St Jude's my community club all that time, you know, till I was 18, 18, 19. And we, we had a really strong schools competition, champion schools. And we had a really strong town team competition as well. And our community club was really strong because everybody stayed there. So I think there's lots of merits in that in that system and that provision that that was was then. Academy was called a DDA when when I when I played. It was a district development association, which is now the academies. So we only really went into a professional um, environment when we was probably 17, 16, 17. Up until then, we stayed at our community clubs, um, played town team, played schools rugby, and it was brilliant. So there's a lot of merits, certainly a lot of merits in scholarship as well. Um, but I, I really enjoyed it. I think there's a lot of um, benefits to that whole system as well. Yeah, no, I love that system, mate. I feel like... Not saddened, but some of my best memories are from playing like town team service areas. The laughs you'd have with lads that played at other clubs, and you you bump into them somewhere and they go, oh, "I remember that." And it tends to be around the town team service area stuff. But I also get that people can slip through the net just because they're not ready at twelve, thirteen. Doesn't mean they won't be ready at eighteen, nineteen, twenty. Does it? Yeah, I agree. And and you know what, yeah. Johnny? If they're not ready, it's not the end of the world. You know, I think. Yeah. You know, it's, we, professional sports got to make a rugby league's got to make a decision sometimes at a kid at fourteen. You know, both both lads and girls now, um, and it's yeah. too early. It, it is too early, and you know, there's a lot of pressure not only on the on the players but the parents uh, and the other people at the community club. You know, yeah. at times a, a community club will, will lose maybe seven or eight from that age group, and that'll leave you know ten players at that community club. A little bit limited in what they can do, and then there's a, yeah. there's a big emphasis on I need to sign pro, I want to sign pro, and it isn't the be all and end all. You know, there's a community line programs with the communities now. Yeah. There's some brilliant community clubs. You know, you stay engaged with your mates. You can go all over the world playing with community rugby as well. So even though that like, playing professional rugby league is fantastic, it's the pinnacle. I think the community game's got an awful lot to offer as well, and I think sometimes we forget that. No, we do, mate. So, do you remember the selection process, Steve, when you were playing? Did it come from the school or did it come from your club side? Yeah, I, I, remember, I remember it well, um, John. Yeah. So, obviously, um, you had to play well at school. You yeah. know, we had a lot of... Um, I think school, the school boy rugby was more um, more the emphasis on the rep, the rep stuff then. So, we had a real strong Wigan schools team. You know, a lot of players within that. And then if you were good enough, then um, we'd get selected for North Lancashire. So it was North Lancashire v South Lancashire. Then they would make the North West Counties team, which would play Yorkshire, yeah. um, which used to be a proper War of the Roses game. You know, it's um, and then from them from those games, those three games, we'd um, have a chance of getting selected for England schools. On well, the England schools program, even now, um, there's some some 
brilliant players have come through that system as well. And and then obviously you play against France then. Um, if you didn't sign professional, you'd then go on to back to your community club and then there was obviously the Barla. It was Barla then, Barla Great Britain. So I remember the process well, nerve-wracking at times, but some good players played in that process. Yeah. And a little bit, I think you touched on it a little bit before, but was the standard really high from club, school to county stuff? It, it was in Wigan. It certainly yeah. was in Wigan. You know, I think, you know, you, you just, you're born with a rugby ball generally in your hand in Wigan. You know, it was that era where the great Wigan teams um, and everybody played. So the, the standard of schoolboy rugby within Wigan was really, really strong. You know, you had majority of the Wigan teams, whether it be the schoolboys that get to the Champions League final and, and win it. Um, you'd have some strong community clubs, St Jude's and St Pat's and, there's a lot more now in all St James and Shevington, but in those days they were probably the strongest. Yeah. Um, and then you know you, you then put the the St Helens lads in there and the Witness lads in there, and we made that North Lancashire team and then Northwest Counties, and then there was it was happening again in Yorkshire. The standard was superb. The standard was absolutely brilliant. Um, yeah. So yeah, you know I can only speak from a Wigan point of view with the schools and the. You know the um, the town team stuff, but it was it, it was brilliant. Every game was superb to play in and watch. Yeah. So why St Jude's, mate? What took you to St Jude's? Um, probably just my, my peers, mate. That I, my, my dad was a big St Pat's man. My granddad was a big St Pat's man. <laughs> so for me to go, to go like, I went. I remember going watching him yeah. uh, watching him train St Jude's my first time, and uh, sorry St Pat's and. Then I had a couple of mates playing at St Jude's and maybe I just wanted to be a little bit different. Um, Judas. Judas. <laughs> God, I've got to call that also. <laughs> Even when I go back there now and they'll all say, you know, your granddad will be watching from you, your dad will be watching up there now, yeah. and, you know, Judes and stuff. But um, it was just my mates. My mates played for, for yeah. St Jude's. When we first went, we weren't the best side in, you know, in, 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 in Wigan. Um, when we left, we probably had two or three years and, we ended up winning the National League, the National Cup. You know, they, 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 right. they were the best in the country on that. And that's because we was a, a bunch of mates just playing together, you know, well-coached, good values. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I still go back. I, I live probably a stone's throw away from, from St. Jude's Club now. And well, the amount of kids playing there now is, is unbelievable. So, yeah, yeah. Lucky, lucky to go to St. Jude's. But I think, you know, if I'd have gone to St. Pat's or anywhere else, you know, I'd, I'd have probably been trekked the same as well. Yeah. So, do you reckon starting a bit later than the, like, because a lot of kids start at four, five, six, Steve, don't they? Do you think you coming into rugby league a little bit later as a player uh, helped you with without having pre-assumptions of who to look out for? or Because a lot of lads at that age are already earmarked for good things, aren't they? Possibly, yeah. I'm not I'm not sure, John. I think it's a, I think it's a really good question, that, I think. The one thing that I probably did, you know, I was a lot fitter in those days than I am now, and a lot more more. <laughs> and it's a lot. There's a lot of um, players that come through the system now who's good at multi sports, whether it's yeah. running, athletics, football, cricket. Um, so that's probably what I had rather than just concentrating from a, a young age at, 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 at rugby league. You know, I had football and, and all those other ones and. Yeah. And um, you know, swimming and, and and everything. So I it was every day I was doing sport. I think in answer to your question, it doesn't really matter. I think as long as the days of days have changed now and young people's changed. There's obviously social media, there's Xboxes. 
Uh, there's a lot, there's a, a lot of different environment, but as long as they're out and they're doing sport and and and, and, and they're moving and you know the value in the, the the friendship and stuff like that, I don't think it really matters. For, for me, it worked well that I have that, that multi sport background, but for others, it might be that you know the rugby league and that's it. And how did you cope with the changing levels, mate? Was how was you in a new environment? Um. Okay, okay, I think I think it's yeah. something that I've always liked. It's never been easy, but I've always liked being out of comfort zone. Right. You know, I've never gone to like make an easy decision and just for the sake of it being easy. And that's probably I'm probably the same now. Be a bit stubborn. Um. So, probably different environments, new environments, and new challenges. I've always enjoyed. I've really enjoyed yeah. that. But it wasn't easy, and nothing nothing is easy now. You know, in in life, life's not easy at times. Um, but the more challenging that environment got, and getting put out my comfort zone and having to learn new things, um, I always found out that it potentially got the best out of me. Not always, didn't always work well, um, but I always enjoyed doing that. And I think that will always be with me. I think I'll, I'll always be that type of person that I, I love a challenge. Uh, and certainly, some of the, the roles I've had have been challenging, really challenging. But um, you know, I've loved every minute of it. And stuff, mate. So during school, was you just purely rugby league, Steve, or did you did you play both courts? No, I was just rugby. Yeah, I was just just, right. just rugby league. At, um, Would that's it have been something you'd have had a go at. Uh, rugby union, or yeah, um, possibly. Yeah, I think if I'd have gone into a yeah. different school, um, possibly. I think having a ball in my hand, um, you know, I, I think I think just being in Wigan, living in Wigan, yeah, you know, to level, you know, they've got all of rugby union, which was quite big as well then. Wigan Rugby yeah. Union, but it was Rugby League, you know, it was Rugby League, right. so I'd, I'd have, yeah. I think I played one one Rugby Union tournament, um, didn't really enjoy it, to be honest, um, you know, <laughs> once I'd, and, and that's not, no disrespect to Rugby Union. Oh, no, it is what it is, isn't it, yeah. Just wasn't my game, um, so I think Rugby League, I'm a big believer, once you see it, and once you play it, and once you're involved in it, it's there for life, it's best sport in the world for me. Even if you go away, you'd always come back, especially with it now being summer rugby as well. In the like the community games matched the pro game with that. I think it's been probably a wise move long term, mate. Because we yeah. at the wits, we get a lot of people cross over. Yeah, and that and that's that's I think that's brilliant, mate. Young young people yeah. following a lot of the you know current players and and the, you know the past players as well. You know they've got the masters and, and everything now, and 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 yeah. they can but. Put a bit of cricket in there as well. There's a there's a crossover for cricket. So there's if if you want to play rugby or sport, you can do it all year round. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I mean, winter rugby. I don't know whether you're old enough to have played that that gym when you were there. It was. Was that sorry? Winter rugby. You know that was a. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Like when we were growing up, it was winter, mate. Yeah, it was. It was, it was horrendous. So summer rugby's been good. Um, yeah. The crossover between league and union now is is brilliant, and, and the more they can do that, the better. Yeah. So going through school, then, mate, how did you find high school and middle school? Was 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 you comfortable at school, and you were just, or was it more social? Um, I, I didn't leave. I didn't leave year eleven with loads of exams. All I wanted to do was play rugby, be with my mates, yeah. and play for Wigan. That. That was the three things I, I did when I when I wanted to grow up. That nothing else. So I certainly, you know, uh, wasn't a, 
didn't misbehave at school. I was always like to think quite respectful and everything. Could have tried a little bit harder um, in in some in some things, but you know, the, if you look at me, you know, my my GCSE results when I left, I, I got I got PE, um, and that was it. So I had to stay on a couple of years after that to get everything that I've missed. You know, you know, all my English and my maths and stuff like that. All I got yeah. was my PE. So that tells a story in itself. <laughs> uh, I, lo I love school. I, I did love, yeah. I, I love school. Like I said, my childhood and going to school was a. I've got nothing but happy memories. Um, still, still, you know, see the people who I, who I grew up with at school. Well, we went out a few uh, just before Christmas. You know, that's thirty years ago. You know, every every year we no, we yeah. I've I, I, John, I've been real lucky. I'm lucky with me, me um, growing up and my school. You know, I consider myself really, really lucky with um, people that I've I've been surrounded with. And I suppose that reflects on who you are as well, mate. So as much as you you you, you appreciate your surroundings, as and as much as you're a product of your environment to a degree, Steve, aren't you? But people don't stick around if you're not a decent fella. So it works yeah. both ways. I, I hope so, John. Yeah, I hope, yeah, I yeah. Yeah, I hope so. But um, yeah, there's some good people about man. Some really good people about. So when the academy come round, mate, was. Was you all? Did you think you had a, a good shot at it? And what happened? What were the conversations at that time? Um, I, I knew I was doing okay, so I played for England schools. Um, I, I was was I was doing well, doing well as a schoolboy. Um, I had you know a little bit of ability and stuff. Um, so I went I went to Wigan. Um, same time as Mick Cassidy. So Mick Cassidy was uh, my second row partner for England schools. So um, it was that around that era. We played um, a year above in in what was then the DDA, um, yeah. but I had just started getting some injuries. You know the, the the process was tough going to Wigan. You know which which you'd expect it to be. Yeah. Um, but shoulder, you know, just had a lot of problems with my shoulder. You know, just little niggles, and then unfortunately, at an early age, like eighteen, um, I was playing against Witness actually, John, and uh, right. just completely shattered it. I remember the the, the day like it was yesterday. Completely right. shattered it, smashed my shoulder, uh, and couldn't get back. Just couldn't get back. You know, many many operations, and you know, Wigan looked after us and different surgeons. Um, so I thought my my world had ended. So my actual playing career, um, played my last game when I was eighteen, uh, which I thought my world oh, had ended man. really. Um, but again, that that experience didn't seem it then. It's probably stood me in good stead with the, with the role I'm in now. But uh, my world fell apart when. Uh, when that happened. So how would you been injury-wise before that? All right, yeah, good. Good. Yeah, it's typical, that, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, just the odd injuries. And uh, ironically, it's, it's what my dad finished with. My dad finished with a shoulder, same right. shoulder. Um, so it might have been in the jeans, might have been in the jeans or something. <laughs> but I, I, I were great. You know, no, no, you can never say that I would I would have gone to the heights of played first team for Wigan and, and, and further, but... Um, you know, you, you did feel, oh, I did feel that, um, you know, my world had ended, like I said, it, it, I was, it was devastating, absolutely devastating. But again, I had some good people around me. Um, yeah. But at the time, it was tough. It was tough, that. Um, but you have to crack on. You just have to crack on. It wouldn't have been through lack of effort if you hadn't have hit them hefty heights, mate, as a player, would it? Like you said, work rate was like key to everything you've done, and I imagine it still is. 
Yeah, I'd like, I'd like to think so, you know, and, and at the time, that adversity and stuff, you think, oh, how am I going to get over this? You know, and that's, mm. I see players now with long-term injuries and players finish their careers and stuff, you know, I can, I can really empathise with them because it's something that I, I have been through myself and experienced yeah. it. Um, but again, you know, it's it's something that um, probably for my dad, you know, you've you just got to, you know, keep going, you know, something else will crop up, another door will open, but you can't just wait for it. You can't sit and just wait for things to happen. You have to go and chase it. And that's hard. That's really, really hard. And when, when you, 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 you're in a bit of adversity, difficult, but you know, it's making that first step, whether that's speaking to somebody or going and having an interview somewhere or going to a different line of work or upskilling. Um, the difficult bit is that first step. But once you do it, then, then doors, doors will always open. Must have been like such a tricky time because eh? that age is difficult as it is. You, you're about to come like an adult, like you're a young adult. You, you think you're on the verge of a of a career that you've dreamt of. Yeah, well, it, all I wanted to do since I was yeah. um, probably like well, from ten when I when I came into the game was to play for Wigan. You know, to play first team for Wigan. You know, I, I remember Wigan v Manly, the World Club Challenge when they beat Manly and all the great Wigan teams, and you know. Going to all the Wembley games and um, you know everything, it was like an, it's 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 amazing. You think I'd love to do that one of these days. I may I may never have done that. I probably wouldn't have done. But you think, yeah, oh, but you may have. Yeah, you, yeah, you never know. Yeah. You never know. Um, but again, jumping forward a little bit, you know, I'm really fortunate to have gone to Wembley with coaching and stuff like that, and yeah. and I probably appreciate the things now more because of what happened. You know, when I was eighteen, so um, yeah. it's not a bad thing. Not a bad thing. Uh, and again, we we'll, we we'll, we will be touching on like what you've done next and stuff. But did it give you probably a little bit more joy when you've been involved with lads that have gone and done that because you weren't able to? And you, your out your outlooks obviously changed because you're picking up different things and delivering it in a different way through players. So was it always nice to sit back and go, I've had a nice influence on that group of young lads that have been, even if like. 18th, 19th man, mate. What an experience it would have been for them. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm dead proud of, of, of anybody. What, um, it sounds a bit corny, doesn't it? But anybody that that um, succeeds in something. Yeah. So even like the, the teammates I had when I finished playing, um, they went on and had amazing careers. So we mentioned Mick Cassidy. You know, we ended up coaching at Witness, and yeah. uh, that was so a bit surreal. Yeah, it would, it would go. Yeah. We have a crack about it now. We 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 yeah. and stuff, and you know, I look at even like the year above me was Tez, Tez and Baz. Yeah. So we, we even discuss that now and have a have a laugh about that. But uh, I I just really enjoy seeing people do well, uh, you know, and and even from a coaching point of view, when you know you look back at my very first academy team when I when I ended up coaching, you know, just want them to. To have a good life and good families, it doesn't always happen that way. You know, life's tough at times, but it's nice to to be able to speak to them and and um, you know be able to just reminisce on some of the things that happened all those years ago. Yeah, and then going back a little bit more, mate. So in them levels and and getting into playing England schools, how how was that, mate? Was that do you realise how good you are at that point? Because there's nothing wrong with understanding you've got ability, mate. Is there? Um. You know what? You probably feel a bit invincible at that age. You know when yeah. to 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 achieve 
playing for your country and, and, and your county and your town, um, I think it takes some doing. You know, there's not many do that. Um, so it, it were good, you know, it were probably more proud for my dad and, and, my, and my family and my girlfriend then, who's, who's now my wife. So that's how long I've been with, with my girlfriend. So it was probably a really proud moment for them. I think we maybe, although we worked really hard, took it for granted. You know, and, and I think at that age, when you're fit and you're healthy and you're playing for England and then you're going to Wigan, you're invincible. Uh, and and that, that, it can be a real benefit because you've got a real focus in, you know, that mindset that you want to be the best and you want to do that. But when it doesn't quite happen, I had nothing else then. So I didn't have an education because all I wanted to do was play professional sport. Didn't do well at school, overly well at school. So when that was taken away from me, it, it was it was really tough. In hindsight, and the things that we do now is you want to try and get players to have a dual career, have something alongside playing. It's easier said than done because I, I get why they just want to be players and be the best they can be at that. But I remember, you know, when my career finished, you know, I, I did think I was invincible then and, you know, everything's going to go great. I'm going to go and play at Wembley. I'm going to do this. I'm going to go and play alongside Ellie Anley, all those. Wasn't the case and it was a tough time. So hopefully things have changed now. And I imagine people respond more, mate, because you've been in them shoes. It's a little bit harder to buy into something with someone that doesn't truly understand what they're asking of you or what they're recommending to you? I, I think it can help. I think the worst thing you can say to, to people is, I know how you feel, because you don't. Everybody feels a bit yeah. different. I think you can certainly empathise with it and, and just give them the benefit of your experience, because everybody's different, John. We all deal with things different. You know, for, for one person, it's absolutely catastrophic what happens, and for the other person, they just get on with it, and it's all right. Um, but I think I think it's having empathy, and, and I think... I don't think you've got to have been in the positions to offer that advice. You know, we've got some brilliant people in our game that can offer advice and never played the sport. Um, on the flip side, you know, some players do prefer to speak to, to um, people that's been on a similar kind of journey to them. Um, to have a, a mix of those kind of people is probably really important, I think. You know, like you can bounce ideas and speak to different people who's been in that situation or, or not. So... I don't think it's a game breaker, um, but it, it certainly stood me in good stead, you know, doing or being through some of the things that I've been through both as a player and as a coach. So when did the coaching idea come? So and and on the back of the shoulder, mate, a couple of things. So did you know how serious it was straight away? And how long did it take you to look into doing coaching? I knew it was serious when I uh, when I was, well, I had a bit more earlier. Then when I was calling me earlier, my shoulder kept dropping out of it. So it's like I couldn't do anything. Okay. I couldn't do absolutely nothing. So, and so I, I knew it was serious. I couldn't even like opening the door, my shoulder would drop out even after multiple surgeries. So I knew that I'm not going to be able to play yet. You know, if I can't come here, I'm not going to be able to to get on a field and, and play. So um, I, I knew that was that 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 was gone. Um, my community club was really good, so I went back to St Jude and started coaching. So Tommy Martin Dale, me, uh, and he's still he's still at St Jude's now on the committee. Um, he, he invited me down and went to be an assistant at St Jude's very, at a very young age, and then I retook my qualifications that I should have got at school, which I, which I didn't get. And um, so I ended up being a fitness instructor and working for uh, Robin Park now, which is Wigan's training ground, and um, did a lot of conditioning. And luckily for me, Andy Gregory came with the Salford team. 
and I did some conditioning for them. And then again, that I, I could never ever thank Andy Gregory enough. He was my hero for the start. Um, but it just just fell into place, you know. That that Greg came. I did some conditioning for for Salford, and then in nineteen ninety five, I got invited to to go and do that at the club. It was centenary season. The club were doing really well. Greg was head coach, and then I got invited down. So the connections with my community club, I, I never brought them all along. And I think that again, if I'd have brought those and never went back to my community club, then coaching and the Andy Gregory situation would never have happened. So I just think that keeping connected with the people, you know, that you grow up with and, you know, give you those values is really, really important. And and, and centuries were, were were brilliant, you know, given that opportunity by Tommy Martindale and the club to help them coaching, just set us on a, on a bit of a different path. So how is it that an 18, 19-year-old lad, mate, walks into an open-age dressing room, which can be a scurdy time anywhere, can't it, for a young lad, and start dictating field positions, plays, defensive patterns. How was it initially? And how did how do you think it helped you develop? Um again it was that challenge. It was it was completely out of my comfort zone. And they, they were good blokes. They were good blokes and we're doing we're doing all right. And I think that the fact that I've been around the club all the time anyway uh, yeah. was was good. Um it's tough. It's tough, you know, I've always well not now, but what I was always a very young coach, you know uh, an environment that some really key players, you know, that when I moved on to some of the other clubs as well, there were some players that, you know, five years ago, before then, I, I was on the sideline cheering them. You know, so is it, it, there can be a bit of an imposter syndrome in there, you know, which is which is really common in a lot of people. You know, I shouldn't be here, I don't deserve to be here. Uh, but they, they were great. My community club was, was really, really good. You know, I can't, can't speak highly enough of that. And it's, a snapshot, you know, you mentioned the Wids, a snapshot of what happens in the Wids, John, at your place is just good places to be, good people, have a good crack, uh, and they're for the right reasons as well. And, and some of those players have been there for years and years, and the, the dads were there, the kids are now there. Um, so it's just a hub of, of of respect and everybody just loving each other's company. So it was out of the comfort zone, but um, yeah, I, find it, I find it quite easy. Yeah. I imagine, mate, Things like body language, you, you learn to read a bit more. I imagine how to speak to certain players because we all know some players need a, a bollocking, some players need an arm around them. So you're maturing before before your time, really, aren't you? Definitely, and I had some good mentors as well. You know, some yeah. people. I would never, I'm never frightened of asking people for for advice, uh, whoever that may be, and, and any advice that I get. Whether it be from I don't know a, a head coach, you know, um, somebody who's at Tesco, who, who you know, I, I would always listen. I'd always listen and and do that. And you know, some experienced players in that community game as well. You know, and I, I was lucky. I've mentioned my dad quite a few times. The advice he gave some good advice on that as well. Um, I, I, I listened to you know my favourite bit of match of the day was the the coaches' interviews at the end. You know, I'd listen to that rather than watch the actual technical stuff. And now. You know, my, my favourite programme now, this is how sad I am now, John, it's probably question time. You know, Prime Minister's question time, I just love seeing how people deal, deal pressure and body language and, and how they do things. And I've always probably been like that. Um, so, yeah, it was a, an interesting time. And, and I think there's different ways to, to coach and, and, and be a leader, you know, that dictatorship and telling people what to do. I think those days are gone as well. And, and 
I probably learned the hard way at times coaching, you know, different types of, of leadership, you know, giving players a bit of autonomy, listening to their ideas, getting that buy-in. I've tried being that person at the front who dictates this is what we need to do. And I think that evolves and it, I think it also evolves and it's important depending on what group of players you've got. Sometimes I've got it right, sometimes I've got it wrong. Um, but I'm always, I always like change, I always like challenging and I always like researching in, in, uh, in, in how I can be you know, better than I was previously. And um, yeah, I've had some, some interesting times. And so consciously, mate, you've been doing that right since you tried the egg in the very first time. You've been, you've been eyeing ways of doing things or improving and how, what to do again and what not. So you said you've studied the game relentlessly and you, you literally have subconsciously and it only comes to, unfortunately, the shoulder injury when it'll start coming to the forefront. Yeah, I think you make I think you make a really good point. Yeah, definitely. You know, I just like used to write everything down when I was younger, you know, and that's how I, I, I was quite lucky if I saw it and I wrote it down and I, you know, remember it then. Um, so yeah. I've I, I don't know where it's come from that I really don't, but I've always I've always been that. I've got records and books and stuff since I was like what ten years of age of of, of like coaches and drills and ideas. Yeah. Some bonkers, some of the stuff I've wrote down are absolutely bonkers, you know, I like it. Um, you know, really out, out of my comfort zone. And um, I think it's just just trying things and trying different things. Some have worked, some haven't, and try and make the best of what you've got. But yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it's, I don't know where it's come from, but it's certainly been there from a young age. Plus it comes across like you're just not afraid of failure, mate. You've tried it, it's not worked, I'll do something else. Uh, I'm not afraid, but I hate it. I, yeah. I absolutely, uh, as we all do, I, I despise it. I, it's something that I look back on. Um, somebody, somebody always said to me, and it was a coach when I when I left Witness. It was a coach I went um, visiting another Super League club, and he said to me, "You've got to enjoy winning more than you hate losing. Else, the game will have you. You know, you, you won't last long in the game." And I've never grasped that. I, I, I still don't don't do that now, even though I don't coach. I like I never, it though. I never really enjoyed the wins because you're just thinking about the week after. You know, you'd enjoy it for a, 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 an hour, and then you're thinking, right, I've got Lee next week, or I've got you know Tonga the week after in a World Cup. So I've never enjoyed the win. But if you got beat, I, I hate I, it was it was horrendous. I could never hack it. So I was never afraid of getting beat and failure. But I could never accept it. I hated it, and that'll probably stay with me. <laughs> stay with me until my my last yeah, breath. No, I do like that. Yeah. The only other thing I'd say to you, mate, is not like I imagine you don't like hate like losing in in any form. But was it easier to accept when you could understand your team had had a right go? No. No. <laughs> Honestly, it was like yeah. I remember going seeing that when I was at, it would have been at White so I went to White yeah. Um, and my first season, I, we it was a tough first season, so I had to make some big decisions there, and thankfully they worked out. So I went seeing a sports psychologist. Uh, I didn't want to, but somebody said, "Go see him," and it was really good for me. It was really good for me. And he explained about the delegating and preparation and stuff. And I still um, do things that that he recommended. Um, I would I would even hate it more if opposition didn't see the best of. Of, of one of my teams, I, I I hated that lack of effort. Um, 
I, I would probably carry it on one hand, I mean, and I probably did, did like 300 games, John, and I, I don't think anybody could say there was a lack of effort in any team that I coached. Um, but if I ever did see that, I wouldn't be able to act that. Um, the one thing I did start doing the back end of my coaching career when I knew that I was probably going to go on a different path, I started enjoying my wins more, the wins and taking things on board. And uh, But it was only the real back end of my coaching career that, that I started doing that. And probably a lot of coaches will, will, will say the same. You don't really enjoy the wins as you should do and you, you just absolutely hate the losses. Right. No, it's just fascinating, mate. I'm going to pick your brain right through it, so I will come up with stuff I haven't even sent you. But so when no, when the S and C stuff comes, mate, is it is it about challenging the individual? Were you were you good at individual mentoring and stuff, or do you prefer the the group stuff? Um, both really. Yeah. You know, so a lot a lot of group stuff. Um. But everybody were different, and I, I just love the. I, I tried to put the stuff, position specific stuff in, so it wasn't just SNC circuits and stuff like that. I just always had the ball. Everything was with the ball. Um, yeah. Made some absolutely bonkers drills up. Some which were absolute rubbish. Some were awful, and some were thought were, were pretty good, which I still do now. And yeah. the laugh at them now, and today still doing that same drill. And where did you get that from? A, did you get that from a cornflakes packet? That drill and. <laughs> and also, we're never afraid of making a mistake. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think you have, it, you have to, it's bespoke, really, position specific. Different people need different things. Yeah. Um, so I think that's probably what stood me in good stead with Andy Gregory. You know, there, were, there were fun sessions as well, it was enjoyable. Um, so getting that opportunity to actually do that with the, with the Salford team that, that, that season. And then when they, they beat Keithley to, go, to get into Super League in, in 1996. And then there was a full-time role, which I went to the coaching and not necessarily S&C. But yeah, it was just different and just trying to make things as interesting as I could. So when when that full-time opportunity to coach come, mate, so before that, was you, as an S&C, was you chiming in with the coaching anyway? Was you given that freedom? I was with the academy. So Greg said, right. you know, go to the academy. John Blackburn, who's, who's still at Salford now, who's, who's fantastic. And Tony Griffin were the two coaches there. Um, and the, the academy team was a decent team then as well. Uh, it was captained by Malcolm Olka, who, um, you know, unfortunately, you know, passed away last week. And um, it's the first time I'd seen that academy team since those days. You know, it was like, what would have been 20 odd years ago? And it was brilliant catching up with them in sad circumstances. But it was working with people like Malk, who were who were amazing. You know, I like just, I was lucky I probably went into that environment, which was um, Greg. Greg was superb. Greg was unbelievable. Um, and then going into a team that really had potential, and then somebody believing in me to have a go at that. So I did. I did my. I did my S and C stuff. Uh, I then started coaching that academy team, and the first year we, we won the comp, we won the championship, um, which again was was brilliant. So I, I then decided my focus would probably be on coaching rather than S and C. So how did that chat go? Were you more than happy with that, mate? I suppose a trophy helps, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, it, it it was a no-brainer. It was a no-brainer. We had a couple of good S and C people already at the club, and I got that that um, that bug now for coaching. You know, I'd done a little bit of St Jude's, and um, I'd enjoyed it. Really, really enjoyed it. We'd won, which always which always helps. Yeah. We got beat in many in many of them games that year. I enjoyed working with the players. And I think at that age, you still have an influence not only on what they do on the field, but the lives in general. 
great to see them now. You know what how they're doing, and um, it's probably an easy decision. And um, I, I was backed by by the Salford Club and, and by Greg, and um, yeah, went from strength to strength from there really at the club. So a couple of things, mate. How do you keep? Uh, what was your squad size? Would you say twenty four, twenty five? Yeah, yeah. How do you keep that happy? Uh, you can't. Uh, you yeah. just you can't. You can't do that. I think all you've got to be is honest and consistent, and the feedback. And if if players who weren't getting picked or are not getting picked were happy, then they're in the wrong. They're they're in the wrong right. Yeah. Yeah. Your career really so I wanted them to start knocking my door down and saying why am I not playing and because they, they always expect that we should be playing and ultimately it's the coach to decide who does that but as long as you've got evidence behind the decisions they don't have to agree with it hopefully they'll respect it um, and then you've sometimes you've just got to make some really really tough calls um, and, and it's it's I, I don't think a lot of people people say it's best job in the world coaching being a head coach it is but it can be a really lonely job as well you know, long hours are yeah. really, really lonely Look, you know lucky lucky situation we're in um, but it's impossible to keep everybody happy absolutely impossible and one of them conversations at the back end of a season when lads are being let go of how, how do you cope with that because I imagine it's great to tell someone you're the future of the club this is they want to keep you but on the flip side, which people seem to forget, you've also it's a fine like minority of lads that really kick on. Really Most of your chats are uncomfortable, aren't they? Sorry, really, mate. really tough. Sorry, John. Yeah, yeah. Really, really tough. Um, two things, really. So when when I was head coach coaching, you know, in um, in Super League and, and and the Championship, that's really tough. I didn't always get that right. Uh, not. Not for the right reasons, or you know, not not just the process probably could have been better. Uh, and I speak to some of the players who were let go. Certainly, at witness, I look at certain individuals, and it wasn't the process wasn't great. It wasn't done on purpose that way, but they find out in, in probably better ways. When I was at Wigan, I learned so much. Uh, I was just I was I, I was part of um, players not signing and, and letting the, the the parents and the players know. And I learned so much how to do that, you know, about the evidence, being really transparent, loads of appraisals. Um, I think I've always been honest, but just the process was really, really important. And that's something I'm trying to instill now at clubs. My role is is what I'm doing now, that if that's not done right, um, that has a massive impact on, on that play going forward, both personally and professionally. Um, and again, I, I haven't always done that right. I've always done my best. Um, but if I knew then what I know now, I'd have probably done things a little bit different. Um, but that has a massive impact, that. And, it, and it's an awful job. But all you can do is honest. And, and it's professional sport, John. You know, it's part it's of It's cut for all, mate, isn't it? Yeah, you have to do yeah. it. But it, if yeah. it's not done right, it has a a massive impact on it. If it's done if it's done right, it has a massive impact. But if it's not done right... I'm going to say that, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, it's a tough part of the role. That uh, and yeah. one thing that you know we have, we had to do it, but I was never comfortable doing it. Like we've said a couple of times, mate. Hindsight's a really nice thing, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I don't yeah. think I've got it wrong many times, but a couple of times I did, and, and maybe could have, could have handled things a bit better. I look back and thought, you know, I wish I'd done that a little bit better, uh, but not through the lack of being honest. It was just the process. Yeah. 
Um, but I think it's a lot better now, or it should be a lot better now in professional sport. You can't please everybody, uh, and you have to release players, uh, but it's got to be done the right way. Also, not that it's easier, mate, because I've no doubt it's not. But do you know when you're doing it at a younger age, you, you can relay us. I'm guessing that the door isn't shut, is it? I suppose the elder fellas and, and women, like like you said, the game's really kicking on now and looks like quite a few clubs are going full-time, aren't they? So when they're, when they're in the mid, mid to back end, they might feel the world is ending, but a young lad, you can you can paint the bigger picture, can't you? The community club can really kick them on to coming back through the semi-pro game. It it sounds it sounds great that, and, and I agree with you. Um, but again, it's it's probably the same sort. So when my career was finished through injury, mm. obviously I, I I knew it was very like bang that was it. Yeah. I think when you're releasing a young player, they feel the same. Because all they've wanted to do, they, they might have had a scholarship for two years. You know, they've lived and breathed it. They've gone. It's, it's a tough time anyway because of their exams. They've got all that pressure around them. And it's really, really tough. Um, it's interesting that they're looking at something what the uh, EFL do, the English Football League, and they track everybody that's been released from clubs for three years after they've been released. So rather than... Now, when you release a player, I, I don't like the word release. When you deselect a player and they don't they don't yeah. go further into a club, um, you know, previously sports have, uh, and, and players have said they've just been cast aside. Um, I think rugby league's doing doing that a lot better now. Where we're, we're looking after players, but the EFL um, have got that tracking system, you know, so they can see where they go. Do they go back to the community club? Do they go into education? Are they still playing? And that's something I'd, I'd certainly like to bring into to our game. But I think whenever they they get told they're not going to get, be kept on, it's um, it's a tough call. That it's a tough call, especially immediately, mate. That it, it is like a crash, isn't it, for them? I imagine, mate. I think the big thing, John, with that is certainly at Wigan, it wasn't a shock to him. So we we used to have a lot of appraisals, three appraisals minimum per year. Yeah. So on that last meeting, it wasn't a bombshell. They could see it potentially coming and, and why. And the big right. thing is they were given opportunities to improve and potentially get that contract. So whether it's SNC, whether it be you know well-being, whether it be school, whether it be attitude, whether it be ability. So on that last meeting, it wasn't, you know, you've been getting told you've been doing fantastic all year, but then suddenly you're not getting a contract and then they say, well, you've been saying I've been doing great all year. So it was really, really transparent and and. Matty Pete was probably the best I've ever seen at doing that, the feedback he would give. And it, and it's no surprise that Matty's doing what he's doing now. And I learned a lot off Matty as as far as, uh, as, as as that process. Yeah. No, he comes across a, like a great fella as well. He's pretty direct, but uh, sensitive with it, mate, isn't he? He's, he's a clever bloke. Yeah, he's excellent. Yeah. So is that, is that the way you were treating players, coaches, staff? Interaction with fans because you've been very easy going with me, mate. How we've like communicated was that how you'd have liked who you played under to be to have been with you? Is that why you find it? Although you've got it wrong less than a handful of times, mate, which it will happen. You're human. Do you treat them like you'd want to be treated? I'd like to think so. That's how we're brought up. Um, being in the position of, of being the head of a club. 
in our communities is is a massive privilege. So when I look at the clubs that I've been involved in, amazing some of the clubs, and absolutely brilliant. Um, I think you've got a responsibility to be like that. Um, you know, to make yourself accessible. You know, speak to the photographers, the stewards, the fans. Um, I think it's really important. I think you can leave yourself wide open to that as well. You know, sometimes you don't hear what you <laughs> what you want to hear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and some people again don't have, see things a little bit different, and they think it's a bit of an open forum, and that's wrong. You know, some of the some of the stuff that head coaches and other people can get when they're at, they are accessible um, it, it is wrong. But my, my own philosophy is is you know that. I like, I like speaking to people, you know, I like taking time out to do that because I remember people doing that to me and the impact that had to me. So I remember, you know, when, when I used to be, you know, eight years of old, kicking a ball up in, in you know, in my field near us, there was, um, there was a front rower called Danny Campbell, a, a Kiwi international that um, played for Wigan. And I, I'll ne- I, again, it's, it's 45 years ago this. But he took time out, you know, to have an hour kicking a ball up to me. I didn't even know who he was kicking a ball up to me, and took time out and, and stuff like that. And they had they mentioned, you know, it's it's Kiwi International, and I never forgot that. I've never ever forgot it. So I've always tried to be, um, you know, to to have a, have a crack with all the fans and, and everybody around it. Sometimes it's been tough. It's been tough because I took some, I've took some stick in the time, but. Um, I always like to think I can go back to the clubs and uh, and enjoy the companies as much as they can enjoy my company. Oh, I like it, mate. So, what other opportunities come on the back of Salford before you left? Was the was you was you really content there, mate? I was really content as as an academy coach and as and as assistant coach. I was only twenty seven then, twenty six, twenty seven, and then Greg unfortunately got sacked. And then John Harvey came in, an Australian, who was who again was great, John. So I was his assistant along with Steve O'Neill and, and John Forum. Um, and we, we were doing we were doing well. And then John got the sack and then I got offered the job. And and, and to be honest, it was way too early for me. You know, I was probably a, a, a decent academy coach and had some success in academy. Um, but when it comes knocking that, you, you don't turn it down, you know. Head coach at 28. Um I had a good relationship with the players, um, but as an assistant, the club had struggled. You know, they sat two coaches in the space of two years, um, and the squad probably could have been a bit stronger. And I wasn't ready, so it was a bit of a, a bit of a, a bit a recipe for a disaster. That so I've been there um, six years and had relative success with the teams that I had. But I had a crack at it. I had a crack at it, and. Um, it was tough. I think I won uh, two out of the first four to, to keep us in Super League. And then the second season, we won two out of 11. A real struggle. And then um, I got the shepherds up. See you later kind of thing. Um, got a couple of offers straight away, from a, uh, one from another Super League club uh, and one from a championship club. Uh, and I always remember somebody saying, just don't jump at the first one. It's got to be right. Yeah. Um, and it was probably the best advice I, I, I'd ever got that. So I did get a, 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 a few offers, um, and I'm really fortunate enough in the in, in the path that I did did take that that term, advice about not jumping to the first one um, was was good advice. Yeah, and 
names aren't needed to be honest, mate. But do you know when you're trying to build a team, Steve, and and you're not at school doing a dream team, you know when money doesn't matter, right? So what happens when you go up to a board? Do you have to have, say, you're looking for a six because it's a pivotal player in what you're looking to do? Do you have three A options, three B options, three C options? Like, how do you approach that, and what's the feedback like? I think you've got to you, you've got to know what you've got to have a style what you want to play. And again, I've chopped and changed around different styles. You know, being conservative in a lot of teams, I've had to throw the ball around and stuff like that. So, the the first thing that you've got to have is they've got to be competitive, no matter what position they play. They've got to have that fight in them, that work ethic, run through a brick wall, and we've got to be very, very hard to beat. So that's the first thing, you know, and that that's probably the, the requisite of, of, of what I look for. You mentioned about standoffs and, and, and you know, key, key pivots in that. I was probably the other way around. I probably went through more front rowers. Um, and, and, that form layers. Yeah, that is that. Yeah. That's your engine room and that. And then you've got your 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 sparkle and your spine of your team, your full back, your your six, your seven, your nine, your thirteen. But I think it's I think it's just important to set out what you exactly want from your team and tough hard to be, run through a brick wall. If we were playing against one of one of the teams tomorrow that, that I coached, I, I wouldn't want to be really want to play against them because I know it was going to be an hard yeah. an hard a, a tough slog. Um, and then obviously there's budgets, there's budget constraints, etc. What you've got to look at. Um, and then obviously the younger younger players within within who you've already got. Um, I, I look back again and answer some other thing. Maybe even braver putting some of the younger uh, players in a little bit earlier. I know we spoke off off camera yeah. about about a couple of those. Um, but I, I think you've got to have that philosophy, and it's really important the relationship between the chairman, our CEO, and the head coach. You know, when I was at Witness, I had five five different chairmen. It was, people don't probably realise, you know, we, we did okay in a lot of things and, and stuff, but it was, um, you've got to have that stability. You know, Whitehaven, I had that stability at, at Swinton and a couple of other clubs. It, it was all over the place as well and I think that's crucial. I think having that stability and that faith um, is uh, is really important. Yeah. And then, how do you find, like, I appreciate there's contacts everywhere, Steve. You, your phone in the off-season probably never stopped, did it? And it might not now with people asking you, do you know anyone with links to here or whatever? But how do you find out a player's available? Uh, exactly. Just through contacts. So you've got agents, yeah. obviously. Um, agents in the NRL, rugby union, um, players. Players are probably, you know, the relationships you've got with players, whether it's the mates or people they've played against, you know, against and stuff. Um, first question I would always ask uh, John is if they're just a good bloke. You know that was that was a thing. You know, sometimes you um, you've got to take a punt on people because it's the lateness of recruitment and stuff. But the first thing I'd look at and the first question I would ask is, are they a good bloke? Are they a decent bloke? Um, and again, you don't always get that right. And sometimes there's some rough diamonds in there as well. You you have to give a chance to. But it's networking. I think you've just got a network. There's scouts everywhere. You know, you read papers. And I think the key is you, you've got to look at the players. You know, you, you never get sent bad videos of players from agents. <laughs> I can imagine. 
I've never had a bad video yet. Uh, yeah. <laughs> asking for you to sign them. So you've got to do some digging as well. You know, you've got to look at them yourself and get to know them, get to know, know the character a little bit and vice versa. You know, you might just not hit it off. Um, so yeah. I think that, that's really important. Don't just go off YouTube footage. You know, you've, you've got to get inside and know the person a bit more, you know, the ability both on and off the field. Oh, is quite good like that with each other, mate. Like, will they be pretty honest with people and say, like, yeah, you've, you've got to play it there if you can get hold of them and that? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. It's got better. It's definitely got better. You know, I think it's a small community. You know, we are based in the northwest, and obviously there's London, there's Catalan as well. And, we, you know, I, I still go to the head coaches' meetings now, Super League head coaches' meetings and Championship and League One. Um, and I think they get it. You know, they, sometimes they don't give much away because it's it's direct competition. But if you ask a direct question, the the, the head coaches are pretty honest. Right. You know, tell tell their opinion on something, and that's why you know it, it, the the circle of, of of trust in in our communities is really really tight. So um, generally, if you if you ask a question, you get you get a reasonable honest answer answer from them. Right. And you know what you touched on before about you've you've dipped in and out of some clubs, mate. A club's quite open like that. You see it a lot more, like you said, because of social media and I like football coming into rugby like Stuart Pierce, Pep, rugby union and rugby league working together like what what long he's been doing the last few years. Uh was it was it a bit was it open but not as much back when you were doing it, or did you see that relationship blossoming? No, it wasn't open when I first no. So it definitely wasn't. David Waite was a really good influence on me. You know, Great Britain coach then. He, he helped us with a lot of things. But I was young. I didn't really have any mentors. Um, I remember going on tour with Mike Gregory. I was his assistant Great Britain tour. Went to France. And in the space of two weeks, I learned so much from him. I, I think it's, well, it's definitely changed now. So were clubs and coaches built walls up around, around them uh, and us? They've all been knocked down now. Not all of them, but majority has been knocked down. So we, we spoke about Matty Pete previously and Tony Smith and, and other sports. Um, I think the value of of learning from each other and discussing stuff and, and it's tough. You know, it's tough being in those roles. So you you will find now a lot of Super League coaches and the other coaches mentor each other and pick a phone up on a Monday or a Tuesday and, and ask questions and stuff. So I think whereas you know twenty thirty years ago the walls were built up and it was them and us and, you know, we're not sharing anything. I think things are a lot better and for the good of the game as well. And other sports as well. So Premier League football with Pep and Stuart Pearce. And, and I've been fortunate to go, you know, to Australia and do different sports and coaches will go to football and cricket and horse racing. You know, that networking's probably better than it's ever been. Even like the content that gets like put out now, mate, it, it seems that way, but not always as it seems, is it? That's why I was just picking your brain. But it does seem like there's a there's a good collective and a good relationship between sports and like internal clubs and that as well, mate. It does seem that way. Yeah, and and you probably say the same thing about CEOs as well. You know, over the yeah. last few years with the sponsorship and COVID, under immense pressure, them and I know for a fact like they'll pick up a phone and speak to each other about the pressures of running the club. You know, they had to make some yeah. massive decisions during COVID regarding, you know, maybe laying people off and cutting wages and stuff. And like I said, I think those those walls have been absolutely demolished now. Um, and people's quite openly will speak to us, whether it's independent with us or yeah. whether they'll pick up 
the peers and uh, and ask for advice. I think again, we've got some really um, really open, inspirational people working in in all those roles. Yeah, no, I've had like Ian Bleece and Andy Maisy on, mate, and they were very open about things and that. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I underestimated like just how stretched they are, regardless of the level they're at. Yeah, and that massive, massive. And, yeah. You know, it's been great that some of, um, you know, well, you, you mentioned two there, and Andy and, and Bleasy. You know, yeah. so Bleasy was um, part of the Play Wealth and Education Forum where we have different stakeholders like. Basically, seeing if we're doing our roles and looking after the welfare and please, some of the stuff he comes up with is brilliant. And he curs, you know, and Andy curs. So these people in these roles, you know, sometimes are seen as people who, you know, sit behind a desk and just sign players and all the budget. These people really care, you know, and sometimes I think that that can get lost by a lot of people. No, it can, mate, definitely. So White Avon comes along, mate. Why White Avon and, and how did you find it there? Unbelievable, John Whitehaven, the Mar- the Maras. Um, so I got a phone call off the chairman Barry Richardson. Um, the Paul Cullen had just come to Warrington. Um, so there was a vacancy there, and I remember it was a Tuesday night, and they've um, they wanted me to go up to Penrith for an interview with the board. And the the weather, it was it, I, I can't tell you how bad it was. It was horrendous, and I thought I'm not sulking a bit. I'm not going. You know, I, yeah. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> in the world. Don't know much about him. And again, my dad said, listen, he's picked up the phone, Barry. Didn't have to do that. He's picked up the phone, done the courtesy. You need to go up there, meet the board, and then make a decision. So I did. It was a horrendous journey going up there. So I met met the board in Penrith. The yeah. best move I've ever, ever done. And I were very close to not even going up for that interview. The club, the area, Cumbria, um, what we achieved there as well in in um, in 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 the time we were there, and, and I I really emphasise the word we, you know, the community, the players, the coaching staff, the board was unbelievable, John. You know, the, the time at White Turban was was really special, really really special. And that is what we're going to touch on, mate. So like twice a runner up to two big clubs with probably a lot bigger budgets, uh, coach of the year twice. That doesn't happen by accident, mate. How do you get? How do you get a group of men to buy into what you want to do? Um, I think I think Paul Cullen had already started that 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 change a little bit. It would have been, it was a club that had underachieved quite a bit. Um, so the the year that Paul had been there, I think they finished mid table. But it, 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 it you could when I went up there, you could see there was a there was a good atmosphere. There was some hard working local players. There was a sprinkling of Kiwis that were working at at Sellafield. Alan Lester, David Fatilofa, um, Leroy Joe, you know, some really good players. Um, and then I brought a couple of players in from outside the area, only a couple. And there was some key things to do, like building some bridges with the community clubs. You know, Wathbrow had just won the Barler Cup at Blackpool. Um, there was Kells, there was Egremont, there was a lot of a, a lot of clubs up there. So I set about um probably the relationship between the club maybe wasn't as good as it should have been for for whatever reason. So the board were really proactive and we did that and it was just special. We just got everybody together that that, that first year. I think we finished just outside the playoffs um, and then probably made some really, really tough decisions, the tougher decisions I've, I've ever had to make coaching-wise as far as releasing some players um, who've been there for years, who'd had testimonials there, uh, who'd been brilliant for the club. 
we had to make some decisions if we were going to kick the club on, and, and thankfully, it worked. You know, so the year after, um, we played Lee in the in the grand final. You know, we got beat in extra time, and the year after that, we it was Cass. So really, we shouldn't have been competing with any of those clubs with the budgets. But we won the league. You know, we beat Cass and won the league, and then. Unfortunately, we uh, we got beat in the grand final at uh, Witness against Cass. Um, that that was disappointing. That, that, that well, I've had four four on the trot, which you probably went to, but um, it was amazing. Sorry, I'm <laughs> waiting for it. That <laughs> um, but the time the time at White, and I still go back whenever I go back. The way they treated myself and my family, um, and the success we had at that club, um, was was second to none. So do you know them blokes that you've had to uh, de-select me? Apologies, I don't want to keep using release because you don't like it. But the, the, the blokes you've had to like de-select and, and de-register, did, did they understand that it that had to happen for the club to move on? No, no, not really. No. Not really. I was honest with them. Yeah. And a couple of were my gut feeling. And the, the thing with a community like Whitehaven as well, that is really so. I think Wigan's close to the community and Witness is close to the community in Swinton. Whitehaven and Workington is, you know, Barrow is really, really tight. Yeah. And, and some of these players have been there a long time and given the club fantastic service and could have carried on playing for Whitehaven and, and, and played well. So there were really, really tough decisions there. Really tough. But I, again, for whatever reason, I thought I would have to do that. And they were tough then, you know, not only for them, but the families as well, you know, their lives and the family's lives was white in it. You know, going down to the wreck on, on a Sunday and watching the, the sons and husbands play. So um, I was probably lucky that I lived outside the area as well. I didn't live in white and I travelled from Wigan. Um, I think that would have been tough, you know, being in that environment. But I was confident in my decisions. I was backed by the board. And you know the the couple of years after that, probably um, the decisions were pro- were probably right, but they could have gone the other way as well. It was tough. Yeah. It was tough. And uh, not to put words in your mouth, mate, did, but when the time come to to move on from Whitehaven, did you possibly feel you took them as far as you could take them with the resources that were at hand? Um. I, well, they had, they had another couple. I think they had another couple of seasons left in them on Whitehaven. I think um, two reasons why I left Whitehaven was I was travelling a thousand mile a week, and that was my choice to do that. You know, so I, and I was getting paid to do that, and they couldn't. They bent over backwards. Everything, everything with regards to club support, etc. But you know, I had, I had a family as well, which I, I, they would come up match days and get treated like the royal family when they came up there. But I missed a lot of those stuff, taking you know, taking the kids to school and a lot of the stuff. So and then it was witness, the pull of witness, massive club, great stadium. Um they'd just been relegated from Super League. Um and I probably needed a change, and probably the players needed a change as well for me at White Turban. So it was probably good for both of us, but certainly that that team that I left at White Turban had a good couple of years left in it. And just before we move on to your spell at witness, mate. It's the bit, like you said, where they take the families to watch the game and life is Whitehaven, or it could be any club. I'm just using that because that's who you were at. Fans don't understand that, did he? Now you see pictures of like players with the kids and that with the jerseys on and daddy on it or mummy on the back. But there's more to just that picture than a Sunday, isn't there? 
it's the life, and it it's a life yeah. job. Is they absolutely? I'm I'm lucky because I you know and our coaches and our players were, were there. We're living the moment, but families that go to these games, you know, my wife and the kids. I've got three kids now, three grown up kids. Yeah. Came to every game. Came to every game at Whitehaven, and, and and it's their life, and they live and breathe not only the game, you know, wanting to win and wanting the loved ones to do well and me to do well. But they hear everything as well, and and everything that's said. And I'm not saying that it's it's wrong, but um, the pressure that families are under when they go watching the the husbands or the the wives or whatever that may be is immense because they you know they feel and they live and breathe every single second of what's happening. Uh, whereas me as a coach, I was on that touchline. Anything could have been happening. There could have been a thousand elephants running around behind me, and I wouldn't know because I was that. That that focus, they see me everything, and that's tough. That is really really tough. And I, I didn't have any social media then when I was coaching proper like it is now. So I should imagine that as absolutely, you know, believe even more. Yeah, yeah. So really, really, really tough for them. But you know, they, they they share the successes as well. You know, so it's not not trying that's to pay it as well. Yeah, yeah. You know, some yeah. of the stuff you know when you achieve stuff that they're that they're with you as well. Yeah, were you were you re, were you good at that, mate? Is that something you were a fan of? Like, so these these big occasions, regardless of the result, which I know you hated a negative one and you didn't quite enjoy the positive ones enough, but getting everyone families together in that is that something you you really push for once you got to them stages? Yeah, I'd like to think so. I don't think anybody can turn yeah. anything through that. You know, whether the, all the partners and kids, I just wanted them to get involved with as much as we possibly could. Share the successes, you know, cry, cry with the failures um, and, ju- and just be around, you know, just be around ev- everywhere, you know, and, you know, mention the, the supporters as well. And the, even the, the backroom staff families as well, I like to get them involved in it as well. They're as much part. We, we can't do our jobs as head coaches if the changing rooms aren't cleaned, you know, the kit man's not done their bit, you know, the person behind the shop selling you know, souvenirs isn't bringing that money in to let us do our role. So I, I like to, from the chairman to the kit man, you know, I, I always like to think that I respected those as well. Um, and I think that's important. So families and, and all the stakeholders at all the clubs, I think you've got to get them involved with everything. Happy home, mate, as a productive player, a productive staff member, as productive coach, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. definitely. Yeah. So witness come knocking, mate, and and like you said, it was the it was the poor witness and stuff. But was there was there ever any doubt about witness, or was it too good an opportunity? Plus, you saved a bit of petty petty money. <laughs> I did save some petrol money as well. Yeah, there was always a doubt because I, I love Whitehaven that much. You know, genuinely, sincerely mean that. You know, to leave Whitehaven was a massive wrench. You know. I, but witness was a challenge, you know. I've watched the great witness teams, you know the, you know the Kurt Sorensons and the Martin of Fires and and Steve O'Neills and Emosi Coloto and and all the great Wigan teams, uh, witness teams, Jonathan Davis and and everything like that. The stadium was fantastic, um, and then obviously they got relegated from Super League. I think, I think Frank Frank Endicott was the coach prior to yeah. me. Um, so when I when I came in, it was a, it was a big job that it was a big job, big expectations from the club, the fans as always, even now, um, expect expect. Um, so it was a bit it was a big job, and it was a tough start. You know, I think 
I didn't have much chance in that first year to to mould mould the team around. It was a lot of stuff that a lot of players that had come down and got relegated with the club. Um, so it was a bit of a tough start, Northern Rail Cup, and um, but we slowly started, you know, turning the screw a little bit, and you know we started to improve. But um, I I certainly enjoyed it when I got there, but there was never a doubt. Um, you know, when I'd actually got into the into the club and into the stadium and stuff, that that, that was the right decision for me. It's probably quite difficult as well, mate, because Frank was an agent as well, which some fans might not know, wasn't he? So a lot of them lads were on his book and probably looked after him a little bit. So I imagine a new face with new ideas might not have sat well with some. Don't get me wrong, I'm not after names and I'm not after like, getting anyone in bother him saying that's a possibility. Yeah, I, I never found that job, to be honest. What what I did yeah. find was um, when, when you get relegated, or I presume when you get relegated, there's a, there's a cloud that hangs over a club. Yeah. And I think that cloud had, had hung over witness for a long time. You know, it, it wasn't the team that had beat Canberra at Old Trafford, you know, but their memories are still there, and rightly so, and that's what... Yeah, they are. <laughs> that game yeah. is unbelievable. So the expectations out of that club um, were that we get back in Super League, and that they were my expectations as well. Um, and I don't think the, the squad was quite good enough to do that. Um quite good enough to do that and maybe you know me as a coach and stuff maybe could have done some stuff a little bit different as well but it certainly was a club with Tom, Tom Fleet was the chairman what a lovely lovely man and uh, Tony Chambers two people that yeah. gave me a great opportunity fantastic opportunity um, and then it was just uh, throughout my time probably at Witness there was a, quite a lot of instability um, around it Um but we did okay. We just didn't win the two big games. When I say just didn't win the two big games, there were big games those. But um, I always felt as though during my time at Witness, um, the players and staff did some good things as well. Um, and, and I think maybe people looking back now, you know, might hopefully realise that as well. That like we played some decent stuff and we did a decent job. Did a decent job there. It was one of them big games with Cass won it. Yeah. That was far too good a champ team. Like, not many people would have... Like, just on the day, mate, they were unplayable at times, weren't they? And Bruffy was doing what Bruffy does. And but They didn't see I the think, best of us, did they? They didn't see the best of us no, in our no. finals, I, I think. Yeah. And that's what I was going to say. When you look on paper on that team we had, like, a lot of them went on, albeit with different clubs, but really succeeded, mate. So it, it wasn't... It's just unlucky. It just didn't happen, did it? That's all it come down to. I think two things. So I had four grand finals on the trot to White yeah. Miss, which we got beat, which again at the time is like Imagine mate, yeah. <laughs> but I think first year Hull KR were, were were miles better than anybody in that league. Yeah. You know, we they had the edge on us. Um they, they they beat us well in the final at, at Warrington. The year after, I think it it was between us and Cass. We beat them. We won the Northern Rail Cup. We yeah. beat them. We beat them on Thursday night, leading up to the grand final. Fantastic performance at live on Sky at um, at Cass. And then there was a lot. There was there was a lot. Of, and this isn't excuses, but it, it was part of it as well. There was a lot of um, uncertainty around the club. You know, the chairman and what was happening. If, um, and the fact that it was whoever won that game would get into Super League, and it was late. Quite a, a, a few of our players who were good players, as you mentioned, 
had to make a decision whether they were going to wait for us to win the grand final or not, or sign before that. So there was a lot of players that had signed for other clubs prior to that grand final. And I don't blame them, you know, looking after the future because there was rumours about administration. Well, I remember that, mate. Yeah, like win or bust, won it, and stuff. Yeah, so players then, because of what was happening in those, I, I, I thought we were a really good team then. We had a really good year, played some good stuff, won some great games, and it was nip and tuck between us, us and Cass. Just felt as though that lead up, probably two weeks leading up to that final, just we were shot at. Um, yeah. But fair play to Cass as well, they were fantastic on the day. They absolutely destroyed us in that final with Brophy. Um, and some of them players that that were in our team that day um, went on to have some good Super League careers on that. And I just, I just look back. That was the one that gets me most. I was disappointed in all my three grand finals, as you will be. But the one against Cass, I think, you know, if everything was 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 as it should have been, I, I honestly think we would have cracked it. But Cass were fantastic on that day. That's frustrating. You like this. No tomorrow when it's external, no when it's out of your hands. Yeah, not all external. Not all external. You know they had a great coach as well, who you know who who got his team ready. So I don't want to sound sincere to 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 other other. No, yeah, I didn't mean to make it sound like that. Sorry, mate. Yeah, yeah. it's a great question that. Um, but everything was you need you need to be everything needs to be right going into a grand final. I've learned that being being at Wigan since then, you know everything, the environment, you're going to be fit. Um, and I could have been out coached. I was out coached on the day as well, John. You know by the yeah. Terry Terry Matterson. We speak about that now um, a couple of times. Um, I had in the year after at Barrel, I would beat him in the Challenge Cup. So we have a, <laughs> a, a, a bit of pair back there. Yeah, I was made up with that one. But yeah, um, things just didn't go right. The environment wasn't right. Um, we didn't play well. Cast were fantastic. Um, they were coached really well and they thoroughly deserved that grand final. But that's the one that that really gets to me a little bit. You know, that if only, if only. Uh, and I ask, I ask ex-players this, mate, and unfortunately, due to the injury, you, you didn't manage to do it as a player. But when you're a coach then, mate, and, and then weeks come along, how do you manage a week from a coaching perspective? Because it's not just a normal week, Steve, is it? It's not. And there's two two ways you can go about it. You can treat it as a normal week. Um, I don't think you can. So I've been lucky enough to be involved in some finals and some big games and World Cups and stuff like that. And I think it has to feel different. It has to feel different. Um, there's there's a media for a start. You know, you've got media commitments. You've got place tickets, families to look after. You've got um, potentially contracts depending on it, you know, whether the win grand final is a bit different now with uh, what's going to happen with, um, you know, the Super League now with the three years and two years and stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's got, it, it does feel different, but again, you just got to embrace it, you know, and just make sure that everything you do, there's no stone unturned, whether that's your prep, your environment, your food, your hotel that you're staying in, um, the families are looked after. Um, and sometimes if you don't quite get one of those right, it doesn't, doesn't work for you. How do you keep it lid on it, mate? Because there's flags hanging out of cars. All the local papers are in your face, aren't they, weekly? And you can't you can't avoid it in a place like Witness and Wigan. And, and Whitehaven, for that matter, mate, like you said, it's all close-knit community. How do you keep the calmness? Or sometimes do you not want the calmness? 
Because them nerves, there's nothing wrong with a bit of nerve, mate. It's that it keeps it on your toes. Yeah, no, I think you're right. And do you know what? I can't really remember it, John, because I was in that, that bubble, mate. I, I, I remember yeah. it a bit more the back end, but for me, it was like, it was just them blinkers on. Um, so again, I wish I'd known then what I know now um, to maybe enjoy that a bit more. But when you mention like the Witness and the Wiggins and the Whitehaven, it was like, that town was just bonkers for the week leading up to finals. You know, it was, so we, we enjoyed it and we embraced it. Um, and that, I think sometimes that's when it hurts even more when you don't, you don't succeed it. You know, the the, the the four grand finals that I was in, I still look back now and it hurts, really, really hurts because you think, oh, what, it would have been fantastic in the plans. And that's because you care, you know, and, and you also know what it means to the community. You know, I know that winning finals or whatever, when you go back to work on, on the Monday morning, you're buzzing. You know, I do that with Wigan Athletic now when, you know, when they win, I go, go in, I'm absolutely buzzing. When they get beat, you go and it just spoils you all week. Uh, <laughs> and when yeah. something that's riding on it, Super League's riding on those games, it hurts, you know, and you're walking around at the end of the games and thinking, oh, and, and tried everything different. You know, I've not won that final, so I want to try this, I want to try that. It just didn't happen. It just didn't happen for us. I imagine, like, even future recruitment is on hold as well. Like you said, retention is, but so is recruitment, isn't it? You couldn't do it. Nobody signed. Yeah. Nobody signed. And, and, and bear in mind that arguably the best season I had at Witness, um, John, was in the last season um, when it went into administration and we had nobody. And building that team up from absolute scratch from nothing. Young players, you know, your Dane Donahue's, your Yaka, you know, your Scott, yeah, all yeah. that all played because we had to play him. I had to play him. So I learned then that maybe I should have, you know, used some of these young players before that, you know, rather than having senior players and stuff. Um, that that season was arguably one of the most rewarding ones I had. No, it isn't. Like you said, Tuesday in Forst. Circumstances, but a little bit of freedom, maybe, and nothing really to lose. Do you? Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Maybe the pressure was off. Yeah. You know, maybe better than that. I think we got to the playoffs that, that year or just outside of the play. I think Halifax might have beat us. Um, we won our, our first five games. You know, we had a points deduction. Um, and everything. You got a new contract then, mate. You should have went in and said, I love it. Yeah, <laughs> slipped up, didn't I? got sacked the year after. <laughs> um, but yeah, that that look, looking back, I think um, you know that was the most challenging. Uh, but throughout my time at, at, at Witness, it was a uh, it was very interesting to say the least, but but enjoyable. I didn't mentioned it yet, but you touched on World Cups and stuff. So the Scotland job, mate. How did how did that come about? Uh, first year at White I got a phone call from David Wales, brilliant coach, asking um, I I had a, did I have any Scotland heritage, which I didn't. I'm, I'm a proper Wiganer, <laughs> no English young Wiganer. Um, but Bill McGinty had just gone to rugby union and there was a vacancy there. Um, I'd done a few national camps and um, been at Salford, obviously, and, and he just said, well, there's an opportunity for you. Um, so that was 2003, 2004. So um, I, I took it and it was, again, absolutely unbelievable, you know, they the experience I had, you know, took me to the other place in the world, you know, three World Cups and four nations and um and and just enjoying myself with that with that group of players. You know, that group of players 
were exactly what I wanted from a group. Hard as nails, talented, uh, bonkers, you know, a bit crackers, you know, in, during camp were very respectful um, and tough to beat. And uh, we had a, it was an, it was an amazing journey with Scotland. What are the main differences, mate? And for, for first question and second question, how do you know people's eligibility? Right, well, how, how do you fathom that? The, the eligibility, you get a list from the RFL. So when a player signs a contract, they tick who they're yeah. eligible. So, um, right. you know, grandparent rule and, and, and it it was a bit different. So you, you could sign an affidavit, which was a, a, a you go to a solicitor and say that I'm Scottish if, you know, if there's no evidence about it. We didn't quite do that with Scotland. I wanted to make sure that um, players played for the right reasons and, and were passionate about it. Even though I wasn't Scottish myself, I'm a proud Englishman and I know my heritage. So it was a, we, we had a list of players and then we got them all together for the first year. Um, and then it, it built from there. You know, we, we created an environment. We had nothing, no money. Um, facilities weren't great. Um, we we went in a hotel that weren't, you know, wasn't great. You know, we didn't have a lot, but we made the best of it. So that environment, what we created as a group, the word spread to Super League and NRL players and stuff like that. And, and thankfully, we started getting better players. Uh, 2008 World Cup, uh, you know, we went over there. We, we should never have got to that with the team we had. We, we played Wales in a double header. You know, there was Yeston Alice, Lee Breers, all that. And we got through. Jamie Ben scored and Mick Nanning scored to, to get us through there. And then we went to, to Australia and, and beat beat Fiji and Blue Tong Stadium and Jared in and and it was like thinking, what's going on here? And it was yeah. just because of the environment and the what was created by it by everybody. It was it was a fantastic time and, and you know, finished in 2017, so I had 14, 15 years in charge. Um yeah. unbelievable times. Oh, good mate. And how logistically how does it all work when you head to the World Cup and Again, I imagine on the, the outer of the squad, there's a, a few difficult conversations to be had again, mate. Really difficult. Yeah, really difficult. Because we had because what, what you also have is you have a, a World Cup every four years, which is yeah. media, Australia, you you know, the big, big games. And then in between it, you have European Championships where domestic yeah. players can play. And there was a tendency to... Play some players through that, then just bring a load of players in for the World Cup, you know, and just disregard some of those players. And I tried not to do that. There were some decisions I had to make performance wise that were big decisions. And when like Lockman Cook came and Peter Wallace and people like that, uh, you know, when I knew that they, they wanted to play and for the right reasons, then we'd do that. So, but some of the players who probably played two or three years leading up to that in the qualifications and um, didn't, didn't get selected for the main ones. But I was just honest with them. That's all you can yeah. be. It's fine balance between that performance and, uh, and, you know, having a team that, you know, sticking with a team that's got you there, but it just kept evolving and it worked for us, John. You know, we probably created three different teams, three different World Cups and, you know, I think we were 19th in the World Rankings when we first took over and we ended up being fourth. You know, and that's... Oh, mate, is it? When I, when I look, I pinch myself, I, I smile thinking about that now and that's because of the players and the environment that, that we made. And we had, we had nothing. We didn't have anything compared to some of these big nations. And 
it's all down to that um, that group, you know. And I, again, I stress it was the group. You know, Dave Robin was my assistant, kit man. You know, we had um, you know some great volunteers working, you know, within us, and it was just a brilliant place to be. Is it is it difficult to replicate like that magic, mate, at club level? Which did you find trickier to to create that that camaraderie, that culture? Um, oh, what a question. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I think it's really, really different. So at club, you're living and breathing it and putting things in place every time and you've got to yeah. constant reviewing and previewing and doing it. Whereas internationally, they're already really good players. So when they come into camp, it's just about your man management, I think. You know, you've got to be, you know, get well drilled and you know, and buy into it and that passion and why they're playing and, and a reason why they're playing and get, and get valued. So I think they're very, very different. In short-term rep, and coaching short-term rep is very different to, to, club, to club coaching. You know, because you've got a snapshot of them for six weeks at the end of the year. Whereas club coaching is constant and you've got to keep it changing things around and maybe having a squad and it's, it's difficult, a lot, a lot more difficult. Yeah. And what were clubs like when they approached you, knowing that you were Scotland boss and vice versa? Was Scotland happy for you to continue a club career? Club career always came first. You know, yeah. it, it always came first. You know, the Scotland um, job, you know, it, it was a job, but it, it wasn't contracted job. You know, it wasn't you weren't getting a lot of payments for it. It was expenses only. And probably the, the work that, did with Scotland probably helped me with my club and my reputation really, you know, getting to the World Cups and four nations, you know, against New Zealand and, and, and all that. It probably um enhanced me my coaching career really and, and, and enabled me just to move on to different things with that as well. So it certainly wasn't a burden, you know, it definitely helped uh, in my career going forward. Yeah. So OKR comes around mate and and why was that? I know it was short, wasn't it? But what took you there and, and why Hulk KR? Well, after the grand final, we went into administration, you know, which is which was, a, it was devastating that people had just lost their jobs, you know, and that was the office staff at Witness, you know, it was, it was awful, awful, awful time. So the administrators came in in a lot of uncertainty. And then I got a phone call off um, the chairman, Neil O'Jol at Hulk KR. He uh, was brilliant. You know, I've known I've known him for quite a few years. Uh, wanted me to be an assistant to, to Justin, Justin Morgan. Um, you know, he was he was in Super League again, doing a really good job. Um, so I agreed to do that. Um, so I went up there. It was very short. I think it was nine days. Uh, and I, and I, and I look I look back on that and think, I, again, I did it for the right reasons uh, to go to go up there. Um, but then Steve O'Connor rang me, took over the club, uh, and I met Steve O'Connor at the head office. Um, and just discussed everything and uh, I knew it would be tough coming back to witness you know fan base thinking they want to change you know we've lost two grand finals no players absolutely nothing new owner loads of uncertainty my family wanted probably a bit of a change as well because of the pressure uh, but Steve and I had a good chat and you know decided that if if I could um, if okay I would release me I'd come back so that was a really really tough conversation with okay but he was brilliant, Neil. He was really, really good, Neil. Um, he could have really, you know, dug his heels in it, and it wasn't good for them. 
you know, press wise and myself wise and him putting his faith in, in me and stuff. And we speak about it now whenever we, we cross paths. And Paul Lakin, who's chief exec now at, at OKR, we still speak about that and have a bit of a laugh about it. But yeah, what I, it weren't great. It weren't great what I did. Um, but I did it for the right reasons. And then coming back to win this um, was a massive, massive challenge. And, and um, yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a good year. Yeah, and so not only have have they reached out to you, but you've put your faith in in the club again, haven't you? You've you've had that t shirt, mate, and you you know expectations, you know backlash as well as the good. Um, so when the time comes to an end, the second time, was it amicable? Was it was it? How, how did it go? Is that when I left? You mean? Yeah. Oh yeah, no, it was it's professional sport. Um, I think the one thing that that Steve wanted me to do when I came in. I had a two-year contract. Yeah. I had a Super League clause in that contract as well. So when Celtic Crusaders got put in Super League that year, that's yeah. saying that first year, which again, um, could argue argue against that. That was devastating. Yeah. And but one thing I, I did do, and I'm really, really proud of doing it, um, is rebuilding that club back up. Not on my own, but I, I played a small part in that. And that was putting a culture back into the club. We had no players. We had no academy. We had absolutely nothing, um, and that that yeah, I touched on it earlier that year. I think we won our first five points deduction. We beat, um, you know, some good good results live on Sky. Where Matty Smith came on loan and all yeah. those. Um, I'm really proud of that year, really, because it was tough. That I remember going to a um a, a start of the season launch when they announced me back on stage and it was mixed, you know, some were like, yeah, brilliant, fantastic, Steve. And some were thinking, can't believe he's come back, you know, and it was tough that. And, and, you, and you, irrelevant of like, you being like, um, wanting that challenge, you notice it. So I'm thinking, oh, have I done the right thing here? I've turned down a super league job. Uh, um, but I was really proud of that year. What People might not think that, you know, there were grand finals and there was Scotland and everything, but that year of building that club back up, um, I don't think you can underestimate how the people at that club at that time did. Uh, even the probably the supporters now don't think that, but it was so much. Yeah, no, they won't realise, will they? Uh, it was yeah. achievement what what the the club did. And when I, we got beat at Oldham the year after, I think it was the first game, and and Steve came to me and said, "I just want to, you know, I think it, I just want to change the direction. I think it would be good that it, it changed the direction, and it was the right decision. And he did that as well. You know, I'd done the first yeah. year. Um, he brought Paul Cullen in. And then, you know, they made that decision and absolutely amicable, absolutely no problem at all with that decision they made. And we both moved forward and, um, you know, both cracked on. Yeah. So, bad on, wasn't it, mate? So, back up to Cumbria and, and living in, in, like, the hotbed, because it really is, like you said, it's people work Monday to Friday it up in them early to go and watch their team, don't they? So, how was it at Barrow and, and why Barrow? Yeah, you miss one out, you know. You miss Gateshead. Do you know what? I didn't even see. How was that? That's even I further, know, isn't it? What? It's like, so I had a couple of months off, you know, and just yeah. like going, learning, going to clubs and learning again. And then I had um, a, a short spell at Gateshead, so they was... Oh, sorry, mate. Promoted the year after. Uh, sorry, yeah. the year before. And they were bottom of the league. You know, they hadn't won a game. Um, so they, they, I got a phone call of Steve Garside and said, come up to the end of the season, you know, and see how we go. And, I think we won nine out of eleven. You know, we beat Witness at the Gateshead, and 
Um, and, and do you know what? The reception I got from the Widnes fans that day um, was outstanding. They were, they were brilliant because I was a bit sceptical. Especially, well, I got clapped on and booed off because we, we won. Uh, <laughs> so I, I couldn't weigh that one up really, but it was really yeah. good. It was really nice to see everybody. Um, so yeah, we did 9 out of 11 and then that, um, I got an opportunity at Barrow, you know, and, and I went up, up there and, and, and again, that was a, as you said, just a hotbed. You know, Des Johnson was a chairman up there and a real character. They just won the grand final, um, uh, but made some changes and yeah, we had, we beat Cass in the Challenge Cup and we had some big games up there. Um, so yeah, another good time, you know, just in the Cumbrian people are, are really down to earth and I was, um, I was honoured to go up there. Put you on the spot a little bit, and you can move me on if you need to. But you know, because you've been involved in a couple of clubs up there, mate, as an individual club, do you believe the collective is the best way forward, or do you think it it needs to be how it is? It's a tough day. It's a tough day. Sorry, <laughs> I can add it out. When I first went up, you'd think straight away merge. That's when yeah. I was, you know, my table working. You got to think barrows. You know, thirty mile away. So you know, so when I first went up, and then I always remember somebody saying to me, in my first press conference, you're going to get asked that question. Whatever you do, don't say this will merge because you you'll have a bad time here. Uh, um, so they should merge. <laughs> so, but I don't, I don't think they should. I think, um, yeah. I think two clubs there. I think there should be a Super League club up there. Without a doubt, and they've had opportunities. Um, you know, we had an opportunity if we'd have won the grand final. 2013, we had there must have been fifteen thousand people watching Scotland play Tonga. Right. You know, the appetite up there, the structure up there, the community games up there. So not necessarily merge, you know, Whitehaven and Workington could still be their own their own clubs. Entities, yeah. Club up there, you know, and, and still with those two clubs. It, be phenomenal, you know. I think yeah. we sometimes forget how, how good Cumbria is. Yeah, sorry to put you on the spot, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah you've done well. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Swinton, mate, and why, why Swinton? Well, I got offered a teaching job, and um, so I, um, I, I did my teaching degree, um, and I got offered a, a teaching role. And I'm just, I thought it's something that I'd always liked anyway. Um, so I took a role up at um, the Deanery High School, which is my old school. And was that going back as like, oh, as a teacher? Yeah, brilliant. A couple of teachers still yeah. there from when I was when I was there. As yeah, well. I just kept my head down when I went back a little bit. It was, it was all right. <laughs> and then I knew Paul Kidd, Paul and John Kidd. I've known them for a while, and that's probably a club that had been underachieving for quite a while. I think they finished in the bottom four. Um, so I got in, you know, offered that role as well. Um, so I took that dual role teaching and, and, and at Swinton, and again, the year that that year was was brilliant. You know, we had a, a great side. We brought some people in, and we actually won won the championship that year. You know, we uh, we beat Keithley to to the title. You know, Jason Dimitri was was coaching Keithley that year, so we we won and got promoted. So they'd gone from I think bottom. Four bottom five to, to actually being champions and I think the manner in which which we won that and the supporters it was the last year at the Willows we played at the Willows that year right um, and again just a club steeped in history you know that's yeah. some tough times the West Station Road 
loads of adversity, and that was reflected by by our performances and the, and the and the fan base. You know, we thrived on that. You know, it was everybody against yeah. us, and it ended up being a really really uh, rewarding year that for us. What do you think you've got in your locker that you can go in and don't want it? I don't. I'm gonna say it, but it, it doesn't reflect. You you turn things around really well, Steve. So I'll. What do you think you've got that you can go in and do that? What's the key principle? Do you think that that could sum my career up, John? Coaching. So that's that's probably the most going into a Scotland team, a Gateshead team, a Swinton team, potentially a witness team to start off yeah. with, you know, and just doing that. And it's it is different doing that than going into an absolute team that's blazing and winning loads. So I just think it's like assessing, knowing what what's going on, and just putting a culture in there, respect, hard work, them against us a little bit. The one thing that I've always tried to do is at every club is make sure that the players know the history of the club. You know, you look at Witness's history, you look at Swinton's history, um, Whitehaven, you know, the coaches, the Hall of Fames. So they, they actually knew about the club, they felt part of that club and the responsibility of, of being in that club is, is massive. It's absolutely massive. So going in and put, putting a bomb under things, really, you know, probably horrible saying that, but absolutely shaking everything up and, and changing things is probably something that I've... And Neil Warnock is something similar at football. Exactly. Like my lad was, yeah. it, I'm not trying to say I'm Neil Warnock, by the way, but my lad yeah. always makes a bit of fun over that. You know, when I think Neil Warnock's gone to Aberdeen, they said, oh, your mate's yeah. gone to... That was something similar. Went in when clubs are struggling and then... Yeah, turned it around and then maybe moved on, and that's probably probably the story of my career. Has it been easy to say if if lads don't want to be here and buy in, feel free to leave? And have you had any? I'm not after a name, but have you had anyone that's took that oh, offer well, up and yeah, left? Yeah, that, happens all, yeah, that, that shocks happens. me. That though, yeah, no, it happens all the time. That because when you have that culture as well, when you create that high performance culture, you know you've got to take people with you, and if they don't want to be with you, then it's not for them. Difficult when they're contracted. Yeah. I've always tried to defer, you know, but there is in any walk of life, if you don't agree in relationships, you don't always get on with everybody. Um, and some don't want to be part of it, some get better offers, and that's just professional sport. Um, not not many, but it does happen that they don't want to be part of that, and, and vice versa, you know, that they, you know, I can see that they're not going to be part of it or part of my plans and the difficult conversations, but you have to have those difficult conversations as well. And so it does happen all the time. Sorry, mate, go on. Yeah, it does happen all the time, that John. You yeah, know that. Yeah. You don't agree with everybody, but you know, as long as you're consistent and honest, then there's no comebacks. And is that answer easier to say with hindsight, mate? Like in the heat of the moment, did you understand the player walking away? Um, yeah, of course I do. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It's it's similar to what I did at OKR. Yeah. Like I did it for the right reasons and what was best for my family. So if you know if I was closer or there was there was there was you know I didn't do it many times but I, I do get it I think the very short career really really short career you know a coach can get sacked you know they can have a two year contract three year contract get sacked administration could happen there could be a long term injury so I'm all for as long as it's respectful players and, and everybody they've got to really look after themselves and their families show respect to the club and not take the mick I think that's the yeah, key do it right. Yeah. Do it the right way, but sometimes you've got to do what's right for your family, and I I don't be in the middle for doing that. No, I agree, mate. Yeah, you just 
again, it's I've only ever really got that out of the player. You don't see the other side there, and it's nice to see the other side, like here, the other side as well. So, yeah, so how how did rugby league curse come about, mate? Well, I was at Wigan, so I went back to Wigan, my dream job. You know, I was there from, uh, you know, 2013. I went looking at scholarship and working with, with Wayne, you know, the first team. And again, that, that is that is my dream job, that, you know, it was my dream job. Yeah. Working with the first team as player welfare manager and overseeing all the scholarship. And being involved with the first team and being involved in, you know, them amazing grand finals and Wembley and going on tour and stuff. Um, and I loved it. I'd, I'd always had a passion very, from my very first um, time at the salt for that. You know, I, I like the play welfare side of it, making sure people's all right and the importance of that. And then I got offered a job as a transition manager by Emma Rose Warren, who was the director of welfare for Rugby League Curs. And it was a big decision, but it was the first ever transition manager um, in, in, in the sport in, in the UK. And that's just overseeing players who retire or players who four or five years from retiring because we see a lot of players retiring and not doing great, you know, not having career, not being financially, um, the well-being not being not being great. So just a too good of an opportunity to, to turn down really. Um and I, I had an inkling that Emma may be retiring in a couple of years. This was 2019 and that potentially I could move into her role as director of welfare, which is for me the best job in the world. It's it's brilliant, you know, what, what I do. So, and the charity itself, I did a lot of digging with the charity and what they do with the Benevolent Fund and how they support the communities and the heritage of the support. And it just ticked a lot of boxes for me and it was a new challenge. And as, as I've, I mentioned before, I like new challenges as well. And, but it was tough to leave with it. You know, I, I still go back there, you know, every week and see those, you know, see see the players and staff and stuff. But um, this is a great job that I've got. Very, very privileged to do what I'm doing. So, just for listeners and viewers that might not know, mate, just give them an overview of what Rugby League Curs can do and what they offer. So, Rugby League Curs is the, it's the independent charity of the game. So, totally independent from the RFL and you know the Super League clubs, etc. So, it is a charity. In two thousand and nineteen, um, the RFL and Super League clubs basically gave the well-being and the welfare of the sport to the charity. And basically said, you know, you're overseeing that now. There's four parts of the charity. It's a benevolent fund. So they'll oversee the um, seriously injured and, you know, unfortunately people, you know, worse than that and pass away on the field. You know, they support the families and, and, and those people. There's the history of the sport, the heritage, you know, all the archives and uh, the Hall of Fame and, and the Lions, Great Britain Lions. There's a community programme. So getting into the communities, doing offload and ahead of the game and, mental well-being and then there's the player well-being and welfare which is I'm the director of and we oversee all the championship league one and and, um, uh, and super league all the players and look at dual careers and crisis supports with players you know in crisis we'll, we'll support them with psychotherapists and you know we're putting a lot of things in place for our younger players now you know through you know the journey from scholarships to academies and match officials women wheelchair England community alliance so it's a big operation, um, and I, I, the sport can uh, can be immensely proud of it. What what they are doing for the players, you know, it's um, we've a long way to go yet, but we've come a long way in a short space of time. So there's a lot of different um, strings to the charity. And you know, all over the socials, mate. So if any player, club, volunteer, anyone needs to 
to know where you are. Rugby league curves is on all of your, your major social platforms, aren't they? Yeah, just get in touch, you know. Yeah. I'm proud to say, John, that whoever's been in touch, we've, we've never, ever turned anybody away for support, whether that be just advice, you know, whether that be signposting to experts. We, we, we've not got all the answers, but hopefully we know people who have. Um, so everybody that's got in contact in my five years at Rugby Curves have always been supported, everybody. Um, whether that's crisis or whether that's all the all-person well-being stuff, whether that's community, whether that's people who's playing for England, you know, we support all the England performance unit teams, you know, so it was involved with, with Sean and the England World Cup teams and stuff and the wheelchair teams and yeah, it's a really I'm I'm biased obviously because it's you know I work for rugby curs, but if I didn't work for them, I'd, I'd be really proud of of having an organisation like it. Oh, that's great, mate. So it's come to that time of the chat when I've got a few daft questions for you. So, any pre-match superstitions, Steve? Words, words. Right. I always, um, I always used to have a note in my pocket from my kids. You know, I've still got them. You know, good luck, Dad. Yeah. Dad from all through. I mean, twenty-seven, twenty-four, and eighteen now. So. Um, but when obviously when I first started, um, and I remember losing one, losing the, the the piece of paper in my pocket, and I panicked. So I actually got a tattoo with a with the stuff on my shoulder, like with my kids yeah. on and all that. So I never had to get that again. So it was always there. Like it, yeah, um, yeah. That's um, it's worst tattoo in the world. Like it's horrendous tattoo, but it's not to me. You know, it's, sentiments um, like far out ways, don't it? Yeah, absolutely. So I, and I did that, so I didn't have to have anything. Anything written in my pocket because I I was even throughout the the games on the touchline, you know I'd, I'd be thinking where is it this so that's a yeah. a bit of a daft superstition I um, but loads of different ones yeah loads of different ones. So toughest player you've coached and coached against and the and the word toughest mate the definition's very different for everybody. The toughest player that I've ever seen. And I don't mean scrapping and fighting. Yeah. Uh, is David you? Without doubt, so I was at Salford and the amount of uh, stick he got and pain he was in when he played and the way he played about the game, horrible player to play against. You know, um, but as far as toughness, if you know that grit and you don't want to play against him, but you want him on your team, I would say um, David Jim's certainly up there. But I've played with uh, coach so many the Scotland team. You know we have, we have laws like that. You know just and that I, I prefer to have a lot of David Humes and players like that than a lot of players who you know Bacharis. superstars yeah. really. But David Hume always always sticks in my mind. Yeah. So your favourite away ground? Favourite? The favourite away ground I've ever been to. It's an, can you count NRL as away ground? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there was a Blue Tongue Stadium in, in Gosford. We played Fiji. Palm right. trees everywhere. Um, yeah. Right on the, on the coast and stuff. And I looked there and... Something similar to Wollongong when we went over to, with Wigan in 2017, we played the Wind Stadium, which is right opposite 
um, right on the beach. Like then them two beach, really yeah, in yeah. mind was like in in England, I think um Edinley's got something about it. I think when you go really to Edinley, popular Steve, Edinley. there's nobody in it. Uh, it's got an aura around it, even empty. You know, you go in there now and 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 then you look at it now. And then it, I, I even like going to places like Castle for me. Yeah. You know, and, and traditional and older yeah, just like really um tight grounds and old grounds, but times have got to move on, haven't they? But I would yeah, say Edinley in the UK. Yeah. You know, and, and St. James's Park, you know, for Magic and Wembley and Old Trafford have been fortunate to to be part of going in there, but um, certainly the, the two over in Australia and Edinley stick out. Right. So if you could go back and tell a younger Steve anything, what would it be? Um, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think just listen to all advice, mate. That, that, that's the one, you know, and maybe have a bit more patience. Have patience. So, so listen to advice and have patience. You know, it's something that I probably, I probably never had. And, I could, you know, I wanted things to happen really, really quickly. And when it didn't happen quickly, it really, you know, got on my nerves. Um, and probably, you know, I always look back to my shoulder injury. Could I have done more physically? You know, when we're, after you know, got an injury, could, could I have done more with that one? So, you know, every bit of advice, S&C, if you're a young player, um, and also get get a get a career earlier. You know, my dream was shot at eighteen. I was playing for Wigan, and when that ha- when that didn't happen, and I got injured, then I didn't have anything else. If I'd have had something else and probably worked a bit harder at school, um, it would have been a bit easier that transition. Luckily, I've I've I've, I've done what I wanted to do. I won't change anything in my career, but having a, having a dual career a bit early would have would have probably helped a bit more. And if you're out for a few beers with the lads, mate, or the team environment or work, and the microphone ends up in your hand, what are you giving us on the karaoke? I think it's uh, a bit of a drifters, I think. I think it's a drifter. I, I, like, I like the drifters, mate. Uh, yeah. Um, I have been known Return of the Mac. That one, that one, that one, yeah. that one. <laughs> I like uh, it. And... The, the Scotland song, and I don't know why, but it was um, Tiffany. I think, I think we're alone now. I always remember. Oh, yeah. And that that was a song that was a bit of a, a Scotland anthem. And then we right. just went to play Uggersfield in the Challenge Cup a few years back. And Richard Thulis, who was the manager, uh, the, the manager of Scotland, he actually put Tiffany on when we were running out of the tunnel for the Challenge Cup. So Tiffany's probably the one. But a, dr- a Drifters one will be the go-to one. Yeah, you may. And and if you're willing to at a one to thirteen that you've coached, I understand if you don't want to. No, oh, brilliant. Gary Broadbent. Yeah. Or David Peachy, full back. Yeah, yeah, what a what a bit of business, mate. Weren't we weren't witness buzzing with that? Oh, they were. It's just um yeah, it just didn't didn't work out, did he? Went back early, didn't he, Peach? Oh, yeah. Martin and Fire. Yeah. Coach Martin at Salford. Um Craig Calvert, White Urban, fastest thing yeah. you've ever seen. Is that on the other wing, that bit? Yeah. Yeah. Centres, um, David Seeds. Yeah. 
probably got to admit Nanning just for scoring, you know, and there's a, there's a few that, you know, at Wigan when I was, you know, assistant and stuff like that. And so it's just the actual ones I've coached there. Um, halfbacks, Peter Wallace, who played for Scotland and played for New South Wales and Penrith. It was unbelievable. Yeah. Benny Brough. Yeah. He'd be in there. That's a good partnership, that, mate, isn't it? Yeah, they, were, they were good then too. But in the World yeah. Cup in 2013, they were fantastic, those. Uh, but there's, yeah. a couple more, there's a couple more within that as well. Terry O'Connor. Yeah. Everything about Tez. Um, I hope you don't watch this, but the professionalism he brought to everything he did was amazing. You know, it was super. Yeah. Um, Aaron Lester, who was a Kiwi at Whitehaven, he could have, without doubt, played Super League. Um, Barry Mack was in there. I was assistant when Andy Platt was at Salford as well, so Andy Platt would, would have been one of those. Yeah. Um, at, thir- at 13, I'm going to put Sean O'Loughlin in there. Sean, yeah. and you've got Sam Tompkins at full back, but I probably didn't directly coach those. But um, and then back rows, I'm not sure on the back rows to be honest. I'll have to have a think. Number 12, McCormack, <laughs> captain and kicker. <laughs> I'd definitely not be in it. Yeah, I think, I think in the back rows would be. You've had like great plays like Liam, Liam Farrell and people like that, you know. Nice, yeah. Um, I'll have to get back to your next podcast on me about Rose, I think, yeah. John. Yeah. Do, do you know Faz, mate? Do you think he gets a bit overlooked because of how consistent he's been for how long he's been? Without a doubt, one of the best. You, yeah. you speak to any player that's played with Faz, and he is, he is an 8 out of 10 every week. He's a fit. Every week, yeah. You only realise how good he is when he doesn't play. Yeah. Um, and just being in and around him every day, um, fortunate to be in that environment, abs- low maintenance, absolutely champion, both on and off the field. Yeah. Um, I, I, do you know, I put, I put Mick Cassidy in, in that second row, John, because I played, played with yeah. him. Um, and again, just just hard as nails, 7, 8 out of 10 every day. We played four, 500 games at, at the ice level. Not played for Great Britain. I haven't had a good yeah. cast. I'm just short of one back row, aren't I? Yeah, well, like you said, because you've been around them environments, mate, all your life, basically, it's undoubtedly difficult. John Cartwright was one that comes to mind. So John played back row Salford. Yeah. Um, he's an Aussie, so he played at Penrith. He's coaching now, I think, at Canberra or wherever, been around a little bit. Um, he was injured when he first came over, um, but when he got fit, he was super. Uh, and there's a mix of them. Some of them might not be the best players, and you know, and they absolutely, you know, some of them play lower divisions, but they were they were brilliant. They were absolutely brilliant for me, brilliant for the club, consistent, good blokes both on and off the field. And then you have got people like Lockers and, and Martin Fire who were just, you know, the best. Yeah. So yeah, I've missed missed loads out there. You've been listening to Trot the Egging. Thanks to our sponsors by Dell Sports. Follow us on Twitter at Trot the Egging and Instagram at Trot underscore the underscore egg underscore in.